Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This, as always, is Jay. And I'm Shanna, and I think the podcast is really important, and it's really going to change the world. And I've got this vision, and I'm looking at my theater books, and... Uh, Ethana. guy. <clears throat> Sorry? Ethana. Ethan. Oh, Ethan. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, never, I didn't know the guy's name. <laughs> How do you not know the name of the main character in the movie you're discussing? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the girl was the main character. Well, one of the two. I mean, he's also the director. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, we won't be getting that for a bit because we're talking about uh, kind of a, a different uh, format this week. We're going to be doing... 11 short films by Bertrand Mandico, where we're talking about the apocalypse after set, uh, not the short film, but also the short film. We'll get to the short film at the end. It's the last one in the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, these are a lot. They're all over the place. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of wild. Uh, so the, this is a joint release from Mondo Macabro and Altered Innocence. We've, Covered a bunch of stuff from both of them. Uh, and it's an odd release. Uh, it's not all of his films. It's a, I, I, My understanding is he has quite a few other short films. He's prolific. Oh, wow. So most of these come out prior to Wild Boys. Like the, the vast majority of these are before Wild Boys. There's like two in between Wild Boys and... Uh, uh, after blue after blue yeah so most of them are uh, the early works especially the first one le cavalier <laughs> blue or the blue cavalier from 1999 which it's very very late 90s oh it is so late 90s there is no blue to be found i don't believe no it's a sepia tone uh sepia toned and it's a tool video you know as we were you know both of us remarked on it i have it somewhere in my notes on this uh, just when is this tool song gonna start <laughs> <laughs> i know the beat is bad well, it's, it's not it's I, I would say more it's a prison sex you know with the mm. the the one that everyone was like repressed memories of uh child sexual abuse uh coming forward from the the symbolism of the video is sort of what it was about and this kind of feels like it's probably on the same subject and maybe that's why they really feel alike um a lot of maybes because i'm not really sure what this is about uh well, it's like a toy dog or a i would a say a pig i think it's a pig yeah yeah right? I, it, that it, could be a pig it looks like peppa pig oh shit it does too <laughs> So uh, at the beginning, we've got some snails, real snails. This one's a stop motion thing. So it's mostly weird stop motion shit, but with a few live things mixed in. So snails crawling on this taxidermy dog. Taxidermy is a thing that shows up a few times in these. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. There's, there's a lot of recurring themes in his work. A lot of uh, goo and hair and fucking things that shouldn't be fucked uh, flesh uh just weird uh grotesque uh living just uh, just things that are gobs of flesh or you know penises that just uh emerge out of anything 
uh, you know, just yeah. penises on weird blobs of flesh on the ground or penises on trees. A lot of penises or, on trees and bushes, really. Or rock penises on the surfaces of on the surface of Mars. Well, you gotta. I mean, I, that one, <laughs> I feel like a lot of that is just straight experiments for Afterglue. It, it feels like the, these are all pieces of Afterglue that he's like working on and like, eh, let's go back and pay tribute to another of my favorite directors and you know ruminate on how it affects my work mm -hmm. so most of these i do feel like i have a bit of a handle on in terms of their meaning you know they're, they're surreal films so the point is to interpret them you're supposed to sort of look at all the imagery and and figure what it means to you yeah so this one uh i i hate the score in this one by the way the tongue clicks oh really i i kind of i i was into the score uh, this one, it just, I, I hate tongue clicks, so it annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's just uh, the whole time, and I don't care for that. But uh, otherwise, you know, I liked it. I, it was like, okay, come on, let, let's just get some tool sound. Get, get us some <laughs> industrial drone to go with this. Well, it sounds, it even sounds like it's trying to be an opening for a tool song. Exactly. That's why I was like, when is this going to start? It feels like we're we're building up to one. It's like, okay, enough of the tongue clicks. Let's get some fucking guitar in there. Something, please. So there's, the, the, I guess the antagonist, or maybe the god, maybe it's sort of the Mandico surrogate within the film, this grinning stop-motion devil head. With feet and hands. <laughs> <laughs> that that thing made me think of like, um, like Ziggy from the Ziggy. Ziggy, comics. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it it is very Ziggy esque. That's true. It's, it's Ziggy shaped. Yeah, it's just because it's it's just a head with feet and hands, and that's that's pretty much Ziggy. Mm -hmm. and neither of them wear pants, uh, <laughs> and it's just sharpening a straight razor, which is very menacing. And there's the second person who, or person, it's, 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 you know, it's a tiny body with a huge rat head. It's like a real realistic puppet rat head. Yeah. And, and the, the two of them, I guess, are the parents, so to speak, of <laughs> Piggy, uh, as Piggy. I've referred to in my notes. Uh, yeah, Piggy works. Let's go with that. <laughs> so they have this weird contraption of a house uh the the rat has a hook like a fish hook which connects to a string and pulls on it and it opens like a flap in the wall and then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like a, a a disc rolls out of it you know it's it's like the the opening to back to the future it's like a doc brown rube goldberg contraption type thing right right <laughs> uh, just a disc with uh just it's it's sort of a dish of facial features you know like a you know some mr potato head type bits yeah so the devil-headed thing dumps all of this into a cook pot uh adds a bunch of powders and tinctures you know just uh witchy type stuff as you do and there's, there's just a weird shot of the devil head staring into the pot and just sweat rolling down its face <laughs> it's like oh creepy yeah, lots of um, intentionally used sweat and tears in this, too. Well, just... It's never accidental sweat. It's never, like, a rock situation. Fluids. Fluids mm. is key. Uh, I, I would say the most uh, 
key element of a Mandico film is fluids. <laughs> it's interesting to see it all the way back here for sure. Oh yeah. So like the a head, like like a souffle rises from the pot, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like like a balloon almost, kind of. Yeah, just a souffle-like, you know, it's it's rising from the pot, uh, from the cooking of the features and stuff. You know, it, it's sort of a weird Frankenstein-y childbirth thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the devil-headed guy, you know, uses the razor, slices it open, and the little piggy thing uh, emerges from it. Yeah, this... I'm trying to think this thing reminds me of something specific that I've seen in my childhood, and I cannot place what it is right now. It's been bothering me ever since I saw it. Hmm. No, because for me, I, I, immediately my first thought was when you have like those memes of realistic looking Peppa Pig. I was like, oh yeah, it's it's Peppa Pig. How about that? <laughs> That's not what I'm thinking of. No, I, I mean, certainly not from our childhood, but... Uh, that that's that's immediately where I went, but it, it does sort of have the feel of things like those uh, weird Canadian uh, safety shorts with like the robot who loses an oh, arm. Yeah. It's it's got that sort of energy, which as well is you know on the same timeline as those '90s tool videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would have been contemporary with those, wouldn't it? More or less, this is like a few years after because I think the those main ones, the ones from. Uh, undertow you know prison sex and sober those are like 94 i want to say i think that's oh, right those might be, yeah it might even be like 93 or 92 i think i i want to say 94 93 or 94 but uh you know I, I used to be extremely deep into tool but it's been years <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so from the point of view of the pig and it, it sort of becomes the main character it's who we're following on uh a journey of a sort mm-hmm. uh so it, you, you got the pig pov and this very strange shot where it's looking at the the devil head and the the door swings open and there's a horse out in the rain outside the door oh right weird image and uh, you know the the pig runs and jumps onto it, and the horse just rises up into the sky and starts flying around. <laughs> okay, okay, <Yeah. laughs> got it. And just the you know I I guess then reclining in the yard, uh, the piggy's looking up at just this huge wooden leg. Which isn't like attached to a person. There's just a giant wooden leg out in the yard. <laughs> you got like just mannequin pieces all over the place. Yeah, there seems to be random body parts everywhere in these films too. Kind of like some of the places look like an Ed Bean house. I do think it's like I, I think they're not supposed to be body parts most of the time so much as an organically occurring body coming out of whatever because there, there's that one oh. you know it's it's much like what we see in wild boys you got mm-hmm. penises coming out of everything you got arms and legs you can fuck this flower bed it'll be great you, you can have sex with anything in the mandico verse there it, it, everything <laughs> is pliable and ready you can and and you will <laughs> you will or it will have its way with you <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> or it'll be unclear who's having their way with who. Right. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. So, so there's this big diorama full of flashing crystals. And it unleashes this big plume of smoke. And there's this weird bit. It, like, I think it knocks the pig character out. Like, falls unconscious and it has this dream of grimy pig faces like faces right. sort of like its own but like grimy and mm-hmm. uh i used like I, th- this one struck me in a weird sort of way because i had uh things like this falling asleep you know i i, I was someone who had sleep issues all through my life uh so even in my childhood and th- this is, is a sort of thing i have not pig faces of course but just grimy right. faces Oh, mm. I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah, I don't I've know. I've only experienced what I think was sleep paralysis once. And right. It, it was a hell of a thing, but I'm not even sure if that's what it was. Yeah, no fun. I mean, I, I've had mm-hmm. all sorts of sleep issues, but uh, it, it's not something I've ever really looked into. But it was interesting, like, oh, hell, you know, that uh, is a strange thing to connect with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the the piggy thing wakens up to a doll hovering over him, uh, has forks for hands, gesturing at this map. And so the the doll, the horse, and the pig all band together, and they're going on an adventure. They get in this cardboard box, and they sort of drive away. This all sounds so whimsical, but it's so, like... It's ominous. It's so ugly. It's ominous. ominous. It looks dark. Everything's really grimy. It, you know, it does have that uh, tool video tone of something bad happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, it's like, it, it does sort of feel like a kid playing with toys, but a kid playing with toys acting out problems that they're having emotionally. You know, some of the stuff that shows up later on in this reminded me of, uh, I guess the bad guy kid from the first Toy Story, how he'd make mm. like these yeah. baby thing, you know, he I butchered I, his toys and made horrible. Yeah, Sid, I, I would say absolutely yeah. for this doll, the doll with the forks for hands is very creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even the, the devil head with the fucking hands and feet and <laughs> nothing else, uh, the, the big rat person, all of it, really. Well, the devil head, I thought, was just. That could be a yokai. I mean, yeah, that's true. So uh, they, you know, they drive away in their cardboard box to this metal man in a lab. He he takes Piggy and he just tinkers with the insides. <laughs> a lot of uh, tinkering with insides. Yes, too. Oh yeah, that that is a given a transformation. Mm-hmm. Transformation. Sometimes it's portrayed as a good thing, sometimes not. Sometimes, so you know, it's not always portrayed as a good or bad thing, just a thing. Right. It, it's just, uh, it, it's it's the weird malleability of reality with everything mm-hmm. that uh, you you can transform, and it's it's not a, it's just sort of the the way of things. Uh, nothing yeah. is uh, in stasis. That's that's kind of what I that's what I've always kind of liked about the, uh, I guess the Mendico multiverse, <laughs> <laughs> the the weird reality that he creates that anything is possible and 
if you could imagine yourself in this reality, you could be anything and it would just work. Yeah, it, it's a very dream-based reality. Uh, everything, it, it's it's the surrealism. The surrealism is kind of tied to dreams classically, you know, right from the roots of it with Salvador Dali. That was kind of always the idea is that it's uh, dreams taking place. So uh, you may not even know what you're making, what the point is, but you're pulling from uh, just the, the purity of your visions, of the, your dreams. And then it's for everyone to interpret. It's it's not meant to have a single meaning necessarily. Although a lot of the time you look at it and it's like, okay, no, I, I definitely know you're getting at something very specific here. Like even yes. at the very beginning, I don't, you, have you seen uh, Unchen Andalou? Oh, I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar. So it's the Salvador Dali, Luis Buñuel short that sort of starts both of them back in the twenties. It's a silent and, you know, it's got, people cutting eyeballs in half with straight razors it's crazy shit ah, okay. <laughs> so if you'd seen it you'd know but okay yeah, uh, nope i haven't it's it's one of these like i've read their original writings on it and scholarship on it because i covered it in a university course and one of the things that uh happens in it like they say that it's supposed to be totally impenetrable and they don't know what it's about and it's not meaningful <laughs> but there's like a part where someone is walking and it's just so weighted down with all these chains and you, they, you follow them back and there's like a bunch of priests and shit. And it's like, come on. You, what you're, could you're, it mean? What could it mean? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I was expecting you to say guys with top hats, but you know, well, that's more of a modern yeah, thing. Yeah. You got some top hats. You got some priests. There's some dead donkeys. There's just some big chests of money and crap, you know? It's, oh, there it is. There yeah. I mean, it it's, is. it's all there, right? Uh, essential viewing at some point. We'll, we'll totally have to do it. Definitely. That and L'Age d'Or, their, their feature, which is also bonkers. That's the exterminating angel director. Oh, yeah, Ooh, okay. he, he started with Salvador Dali at the dawn of surrealism. Uh, and nice. Mandico is definitely pulling from those traditions. Mandico is fully a surrealist director and is working in dreams. It's just his dreams are very specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of hair and fucking plants. Likes flesh with uh, gross hair on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like wet, it's wet gross hair. hair. Yeah, uh, wet. Uh, full of saliva specifically. Gross. Lots of uh, saliva being used <laughs> for things. Yeah. So the the metal man tinkers with piggies insides. There's a rose which they cut off. The doll eats it. Uh, I don't. You know. I I'm not really sure what to make of any of that specifically, but it does sort of feel like again the prison sex, the molestation theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they all get back on the horse, or they all get back in the cardboard box, and they go to this other head with feet and hands that I think isn't the same one. It's got a domino mask on. Yeah, I think it's a different one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it it acts slightly differently, and they all have dinner on this spinning table. Uh, and there's keys uh, all yeah, over the walls. This dinner looks so gross. That looks disgusting. I mean, I, I they, this this sort of seems to be a carrion land, so it's all dead stuff. Mm -hmm. So, the doll has fork hands, and the others have, you know, forks and stuff. But the piggy doesn't have any fork, so it just sits and watches the others empty all of the plates and then disappear. 
Oh, poor piggy. Right, which again, it feels inserted point. It 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 feels like a you know childhood abuse sort of thing. And then Piggy's reading the Bible and goes to bed. <laughs> which you know, again, you know, it's the the priests and dead donkeys tied to the yep. back end, and uh, we we pan down under the bed, and the doll is just hovering there creepily. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I, I thought the doll was the friend because the doll seemed to be outside of the house. And then the doll takes him to the other house. Maybe the doll is, I don't know, friend with bad parent. I have no idea. <laughs> so then there's the, the masked head shows up again and it shoots at Piggy. There's a pistol and Piggy has to jump and ride off on the horse again. You know, chased from another place. Yeah. By a different head with hands and feet (laughs) (laughs) moving from place to place so then he comes to this box of clockwork with legs and it's just blocking the way i guess you know the the leg keeps moving to block the path like uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it it also has a bird's head you know like an egyptian deity right yeah so piggy starts the machinery up in it you know the clockwork stuff and there's like this dressing dummy with fake breasts that appears. Oh yeah. Uh, which I'm not sure what to make. I mean, everything's sort of built out of mannequin bits here. Mm-hmm. And then then there's another baby doll. Again, just but it's you know on its back and it has wings. <laughs> and there's like a seahorse on its chest. Man, I was like so just visually overwhelmed. I couldn't pick out any individual element hardly. So I'm like vaguely remembering this just being like the whole time I was just like, what? Yeah, it helps to watch them a couple times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I, I did do most of them two or three times other than the long ones. Because the the long ones are are quite a bit more straightforward as well. They have a bit clearer of a narrative. Yeah, yeah, this one especially threw me for a loop. I, I think this is what I have the least handle on. Okay. So this is the baby doll with the seahorse and the wings. Uh, it also has an open vagina, of course. You know, it's the first of many that we'll, we'll encounter in uh, this, uh, this series of films. And the piggy thing just pokes at it with a fork. Just just goes to town on this thing. At this point, I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know if I can do this. I'm gonna turn it off. Oh, there's only ten seconds left. And you know, it it it's poking at it with a fork and also a fish, like a, a big fish. fake fish, which was really yeah. funny. And <laughs> the wig falls off of it, and then the wig just eats Piggy. I guess. I guess that's what happens. It seems to just consume Piggy. Uh, and then uh, just a book closes and it's held by the devil head. And that's the end. And it's like its tongue comes out through the through the devil mask. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I have no idea what this thing is about. Well, as I said, I, it does very much feel in the same vein as those uh, the the tool thing, tool videos. And it does kind of feel like it's probably sort of about child abuse. It kind of feels like it's in that sort of avenue, but it's got that weird Mandico thing where it's like, eh, do I feel bad about it? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's the end of the first one. It's a strange trip. Yes, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not keep track. It's an odd one. Uh, next one is is a very interesting one. It's kind of one of my favorite ones. It's one of the ones that still stuck with me in a weird way. I don't really entirely know what to make of it, but it's more straightforward. It's got just a weird atmosphere to it. Uh, this one is... Uh, Il dit qu'il est mort. He said he is dead. So this one's a big jump forward in time. It's 2008. The previous one was 1999. So nine years between yeah. these. And it's, you know, it's a pretty big stylistic leap forward. We're not doing a tool video anymore. This one <laughs> has actors and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're we're done with stop motion, or at least primarily stop motion. Yeah, there there will be a bit. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's still in the DNA. Mm-hmm. So over sounds of struggle, we got this. We get the opening credits, the the opening titles, and then there's this guy with his head up against the nuzzle of a horse. He's like, "It's okay. We'll we'll hang him." <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and there we, we see this fancy dinner table out in a field. Uh, Outdoor the, dinners on fancy tables is another thing. There's a lot of those, and they always look overgrown and destroyed, as oh, this one is. Uh, it, it's like the, the chairs are disarrayed. There's smoke. Uh, it looks like maybe there was an explosion. Maybe. <laughs> it's hard to say what happened before this. Well, yeah, and it, it also because it's it's clearly the aftermath of some sort of crime uh, that this guy is accused of and then is de-accused of. Uh, but it, it it feels like there was an explosion, but also there's just a bunch of chicks peeping on, like, all over the table. Just uh, chicks, just peep, 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 peep. Yeah. It's weird. And we pan over to see the hanging already in progress, which is sort of a, an odd setup for it. The really, really tall tree. So tall. He goes, he gets hung, hanged up so high. Well, yeah, real hang him high. This one's just super interesting to me for being sort of a bizarre alternate universe concept of hanging, like a different style of hanging where... Mm. You don't have a slipknot where it tightens around their neck. You just keep pulling them up into the sky endlessly. Yeah, this this is uh, the rope burn you'd get. Well, oh, that it, he gets. Yeah, I mean he he's he's going up there for quite a while. Uh, yeah. the, he, he's he's on this rope attached to the horse, and the horse is just slowly walking away, and he's just rising up into the tree. And there's just a bunch of people at the bottom watching and smoking, of course. Yep. <laughs> And th- this child approaches who I think is supposed to be his kid. And I think the woman is supposed to be his wife, but also that, his accuser. That's kind of the impression I got. Yeah. Uh, we, we still don't know what he's accused of. No, we, we have no, like, it's it's sort of a Kafka-esque thing where just we're, we're seeing this strange labyrinthian punishment being enacted but we don't know what it is. We don't know why. And then the charges are recanted ultimately. So it's it's like, no, he didn't do it. It, was, it wasn't him. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to let him go. 
but we already found the tree and did the hanging setup. So, like, the, the, the mom runs up and covers the kid's eyes. And the, the condemned guy, he's got, like, an apple in his mouth, which is weird also. Apples appear quite a bit. Oh, it's yeah. Fruit in general, I guess, but apples especially. Yeah, that I never noticed. Uh, plugging up uh, different holes with apples is a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of holes stuffed with apples. Uh, so our, our guy, he's standing on a stool at the beginning uh, as the horse is slowly walking away. And then he starts to rise. Just keeps rising. Just up. All the way up into the sky. Uh, yep. we, we get some POV from him as he's just ascending through branches. And they're just, like, battering him, breaking. Uh, th- this tree must be hundreds of feet tall. It's, it has to be because he's just going up and up and up and somehow there's just that much rope in there. It, it's this, like I say, this weird alternate reality hanging style where you just like pull them all the way up there. <laughs> I guess <Yeah>. leave them. <laughs> it seems actually even less humane than our current method. Well, it, it seems kind of like the crucifixion thing where you dive exposure. It's it's yeah, oh. sky burial. Oh, Yeah. Or something. I mean, it's 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 not really feasible in terms of how high up that rope has to be for this to work. But it's no. it's a strange, strange image, and it's haunting. So that's, that kind of stuck with me. <laughs> so anyway, the the mother leads the boy away and goes to just this weird main smoking man, and she says, "It's not him." He's like, "Well, you said it was him. It's not him." And then uh, the. <laughs> Finally, just way up there, he's way up at the top, near the top of the tree, and he he's just ascending, he's breaking through branches, he bites through the apple and spits it out, and then, I guess, the, the testimony being recanted, he just comes to a sudden stop, and liquid pours down the tree. Yeah, at uh, first I just assumed that this was like him maybe peeing his pants, but then I remembered, it's probably not that simple. I mean, it could be because we do have a urine thing again shortly after this. Mm-hmm. And the urine is strange, like uh, yeah. thick, smoky. <laughs> yes, yeah, smoky urine, like like alien blood, like xenomorph blood from the alien movies. Which is not unlike the liquid that's pouring down the tree. So maybe it is supposed to be that, but maybe it's that, you know, the tree is sated and it is now allowing him back down. Uh, it could be that too. <laughs> and we cut down to the tree, and just you know, the liquid is pouring down. The guy's stopped, and I, you know, the testimonies recanted, and he falls all the way back down, I guess, or <laughs> is dropped down. But there's two of him. But there's also a spectator down there. He's bragging, like, I could climb up there if I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like just this weird moment of <laughs> random slice of life thing in this strange, surreal bit. I'm like, well, I could climb up there if I wanted. I could do that, but I don't want to. So great. So, you know, our, our guy, he's he's there in the grass at the bottom of the tree, moaning, complaining. Or no, f- first he's he's just swaying really high up and then he falls He's he's moaning and complaining like, oh, God, and then drops all the way down. And the the child approaches him falling, fallen in the grass, and he turns his head and looks over and there's this other him 
<laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to make of that. I that that bit kind of just what's that about? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh and th there's the the old guy, the guy who I guess is sort of in charge. He keeps asking the boy to come give him a kiss, which is also really weird. Yeah. Ew. Well, Maybe so, it's the grandpa, but it might be the judge. It just kind of the the paterfamilias. I don't know, but it, in in terms of the thing where this guy's accused of a crime and uh, this guy keeps it's it seems to be within the family, and then she says it's not him. Is it is it the the guy? Is it the is he the guy? Is it him? Maybe it's yeah, him. <laughs> maybe. So the like the mom goes past the the fallen guy. And takes a piss nearby. She's like, like, where are you going? I'm taking a piss. Fuck off. <laughs> Just, yeah. And and it like runs down to his head and it's again smoking and hot and it it, it like thick, weird. <laughs> Maybe P is weird on this planet, like how in the after blue planet, uh if you let your beard grow too much, you'll choke and die. I guess it could be something along those lines. Maybe. And they're like, there's the old guy again. He's like, Nablov, the the condemned man, I guess, being yeah. Nablov. Nablov, I like you. And he's got this chick, and he's nuzzling it, and it's like, it's kind of cute, also kind of creepy. Yep, a lot of a uh, lot of cute, creepy. Yeah, and then so one of the like, there, there's the one guy, there, the two Nablovs. Nablov one is the one who gets the pee like leaking under his face and then nablov 2 is the one who gets up uh, the the boy and the mom help him up so he can have a smoke yeah right <laughs> i didn't catch it the first time but uh but like i went back and i watched it in slow motion the smoke comes out of like a wound in his neck when he smokes it yeah i mean he was very badly damaged and then he fell all that way back <laughs> but the the wife gets some flowers and she rubs them on the neck wounds which i guess is they you know they presumably have some sort of healing powers is the idea and the the dude with the chick continues to pester the boy to come over and kiss him <laughs> <laughs> and but nablov goes and hugs him but he he also like snakes a gun out of the satchel uh behind him which right. sort of seems like maybe he's going to attack the guy. <laughs> so maybe he did do whatever the thing is. I... Well, that's what I would have to think. And the guy says, kill us all if you must, Nablov. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, I think it's the dude who was saying he could climb the tree or maybe one of the other people. And they dig out a rabbit that's in the tree roots. There's this big rabbit under the tree. Another... Uh... Another animal thing. Yeah, just, you know, animals sort of uh, in in the roots of things. And a shot rings out, and that's the end. So uh, maybe Nablov took his revenge. Yeah, or maybe he took his own life. Maybe he just killed the rat. Who knows? We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This one's sort of interesting just to have a very different tone from everything else you know it has some of the same stuff but the tone is very uh austere it's the only one that's like just fully black and white i think mm -hmm. this one yeah tonally this one kind of reminded me actually of uh witch hammer 
a little bit. Yeah, it's it sort of feels like it's set in that era, but a weird alt-universe version. Mm-hmm. So the next one is Liv Ogdaudi Henri Darger, The Life and Death of Henry Darger, from this a couple years later. This one's only five minutes long. Very short. This one's interesting. So Henry Darger, are you, you at all aware of Henry Darger? Uh, I am not. Very famous outsider artist. Uh, so famous being, I guess, semi in quotes. The thing he he's this guy. He wrote this fifteen thousand page illustrated novel about this massive fantasy child slave rebellion, extremely violent. Okay, <laughs> and it was discovered posthumously. You know, he died and someone looked in his house and they found this 15,000 page illustrated novel that he'd written. So it, <laughs> it only exists in art galleries. It's never been published. Right, right. Okay. So kind of useful for framing for this because it's very abstract, but I totally get Darger being a significant uh, source of interest and influence on Mandico. And a lot of these are clearly just, this is one of my favorite artists. I want to do sort of a thing about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the previous one, that feels really Kafka. Uh, the first one, first one, early experiment. That's like, you know, it's, it's tool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so tool. It's like <laughs> the edgy 90s era. Like tool doing Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. So one of the first things we see, there's some angel wings patting this flat butt. I guess it's supposed to be a kid's butt or a kid-like butt. Because uh, uh, in Darger's work, there's lots of uh, angels, blue angels that look like children, but are, uh, you know, thousands of years old and they have these wars. Right, right. <laughs> so I assume that's what this is supposed to be. Sure. <laughs> uh, and there's the old man, Darger, walking along this desolate road in tattered clothing. And it's interesting, like, just how desolate this road is. It reminds me, have you ever seen My Own Private Idaho? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, early uh, Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix movie where there are gay hustlers in Portland and it's based on several Shakespeare movies or sh- oh. sh- Shakespeare plays. No, no I haven't. That sounds totally rad. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's these dream sequences that uh, River Phoenix's character has and he's just on this highway in the middle of nowhere and like a shack falls out of the sky and explodes on the ground (laughs) great shit cool so the voiceover says this is henry darger he's heading toward his destiny yep very very slowly but he's getting there right it's it's sort of an interesting concept because he's posthumously an outsider artist he was completely unknown uh, during his lifetime, so his work, he he only exists as an, as an artist after his death. So oh, moving toward his destiny, you know, he's going to become oh. an artist as you know after his death, right? Right, because he hasn't done, oh man, that must be so, I don't even know how that would feel to like have your greatest achievement not be known until after you're dead. I mean, it wouldn't feel like anything because you'd right. be dead before you found out about it, but. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, that kind of happened with Kafka as well. Most of his work, he just didn't want people. He he, he was very uncomfortable with expressing himself. So uh, when he died, he left orders for all of his work to be burned. But I was like, no, I'm going to release this stuff. <laughs> Screw you. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Uh, and th that's sort of a thing that recurs through his work. He's sort of paying tribute to a lot of artists who at the end of their careers look back with regret and feel like they got a raw deal or didn't really uh, get a proper due for their work or their work was decried. You know, he likes the artists that people don't like. <laughs> He's got a lot of sympathy for hated artists. <laughs> that kind of, that shines through in a lot of these too mm. i think the last one is like i am the most hated director yeah joy damato so you know we're talking about joe damato uh, who directed oh. all sorts of crazy shit i think we covered one of his movies way back i, I believe he did end game which oh, you did okay. not care for <laughs> i didn't <laughs> that was him so uh yeah darger he's in this weird isolated house in this smoky desolate landscape there's this blue woman smoking yeah i thought i wasn't sure if she was supposed to be blue at first or if it was the lighting she's definitely painted she, blue though she's definitely blue yeah and she is i guess she's supposed to be some sort of sex worker because she says first you have to pay mm-hmm and Darger tosses some coins down and he kneels in front of her. And the the camera pans up to this taxidermied crow. <laughs> Another one. And uh, the, the blue lady opens her legs and bird wings are there instead of a vagina. <laughs> yep. These <laughs> are just a bunch of bird wings. And uh, Darger asks the oracle bird vagina... And it tells him he has two hours to live. <laughs> yeah. When will I, or how much time do I have left to live? Two hours. So he asks uh, the, the bird lady to dance. You know, they, they dance well, for a bit. You don't have any money, so there won't be any music. Yeah. But they, they dance real close together and the credits roll. And just over, while, while the credits roll, he's just walking in the dark with the voiceover saying, he danced all night long. Weird. You know, it's him meeting with his destiny, right? But mm -hmm. his destiny is very strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this one is extremely short. <laughs> very short. Very, very simple. Uh, you know, clearly just, hey, Darger, what an interesting figure. Uh, yep. Let's sort of <laughs> do a surreal examination of uh, posthumous fame. And posthumous sort of infamy because it's also a weird fame. Because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all, all the violence uh, and uh, sexuality and stuff, and, you know, it's all children or child-like or, you know, semi-children characters. You, you've, you've seen Venture Brothers with Sergeant Hatred, right? Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> he, he references Darger at one point. Oh. <laughs> what, did Henry Darger write this? <laughs> when, when he's watching uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh God! <laughs> so next up, uh, next one up is my favorite one, "Borrow in the Box" from 2011. The longest one, I think. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, this one's like 45 minutes. The other two long ones are like 30. Yeah, was, they're they're like 36 ish, 35, 36. Mm -hmm. uh, so "Borrow" uh, is Valerian Borowich or Bo Borichik. A uh, real person, I take it. Yeah, he is another film director. Uh, I've talked about him on this podcast a number of times. He directed a couple. Uh, he, he directed a bunch of weird movies. He's 
clearly a major influence on Mandico. I'm not the least bit surprised to see that he's one of his huge influences. <laughs> this is a guy who liked fluids back in the 70s. Oh. Um, so one of his movies that I've talked about a few times is The Beast. Where Oh yes, I vaguely remember talking about that. Yeah, the, the the main thrust of which there's this lady who keeps having these dreams where she's being chased through the forest. You know, it's a Victorian era type stuff. Everyone's in very fancy dress. Uh, she's being chased through the forest by this huge, scary beast man, and uh, he gets her powdered wig and has productive sex with it. There's a lot of jizz. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a crazy scene and it's this is the one that has the horse sex scene that i've seen cut and paste into at least three other movies that i've talked about (laughs) that's that's barachek uh his his other movie immoral tales is one that i remember seeing very very young on bravo as a kid and is pretty crazy it's like an anthology of three uh just sexy tales (laughs) (laughs) So there's like this this guy who goes with his cousin and they have sex on a beach somewhere while he talks about the tide. Uh, there's, there's one where this lady masturbates with uh, some vegetables. I can't remember what the full thrust of that one was. Uh, I cannot remember. And I think the third one, there's a third one. And then it's also a section of the beast with the chase through the forest and the sex with the powdered wig. Anyway. <laughs> yeah wow that all sounds like stuff that i would see in a mendigo film yeah totally tracks i i totally get that that he he's an obvious influence i i suppose though did the real guy have like a human head <laughs> yes he was just a normal <laughs> dude <laughs> so the thing about boro in the box right so this is an abstract uh biopic of Valerian borochek and he's just boro and <laughs> We have this very striking first image of a naked woman in the branches of a tree, and she's got a really big face. And there's someone with a wooden box with uh, just the one eye hole. And we have a female voice uh, voicing Willerian. Yeah, that I found that interesting. Um, it took me a bit to realize that's supposed to be like the interpreter and he's supposed to be speaking in polish i guess and she's interpreting right. it to french but yeah it, it's a very it's a strikingly female voice that you forget somehow that it's that that's what it is right and it's it's also i, I guess she's supposed to be a medium because it's uh, you know as as said in the beginning uh each of these we we've got it's it's an alphabet movie so each of these there's a, a letter so a for avant and he says, look, I'm a dead Polish filmmaker. Uh, oh, I, well, yeah, I would have. Okay, medium. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I I lived my my active life in a box with a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we cut to pre his birth in Poland to to see his parents or just the his genesis, which is very strange. Yeah. What he's describing happening and what is actually happening are not lining up at all. Right. That is the thing that's established very quickly is that he is an unreliable narrator about himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what we're seeing and the way he's describing it, like he's describing things happening in a very chaste way most of the time and things being very above board. And then we see scenes that look like they came out of his movies. Yeah. (laughs) 
maybe some of them did i haven't seen all of his work i've really only seen a couple but uh, we've got this man his dad who's like a creature of the forest i guess yeah i got a real like kind of just bobble vibe from this guy yeah he feels like he lives on the fringes of society he sort of feels like he's kind of a force of nature and he's kind of a creep he's laying down in the tall grass so that he can look up the skirts of women going by yeah which uh apparently there's enough traffic in this area to make that worth doing oh it, it happens big time and just drool coming out of his mouth just flowing like a river yep <laughs> and uh, the the his the mother of boro so this is his mom and dad this is their first meeting a real meet cute <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and it's it's the the mom and her sister uh and it's this is their first meeting oh yeah i love the game that the mom and the sister are playing um, the angel game <laughs> where you die just a little bit to see an angel's feet it's it's erotic asphyx- asphyxiation they're they're playing a let's let's choke each other out game for uh you know sexy purposes <laughs> they're playing uh non-scientific flatliners yeah so b is for bestiality which you know having seen uh some of boro's work i was worried we were gonna get that clip i was worried it was just gonna be in there because it's happened to me so many times now (laughs) as we've joked about in the past the horse fucking i think it's like are we gonna get that horse fucking scene again i'm gonna gonna look at that again i thought as as well when we got to uh joe d'amato uh because it's in joe d'amato films i've seen too so i was like oh it could happen here too not not scratching it off my bingo card yet (laughs) so he he sort of expresses that his father is a force of nature it sort of suggests that the father is more beast than man Mm -hmm. that that's sort of what the bestiality refers to where he's saying that uh his father is this you know uh, natural force but can rein himself in with sweet poetry <laughs> sure sure yeah. i don't think that's true I because don't. the next c is courting uh courting um, courting that's not the word i would use for what happened here but okay it's sort of an assault but the thing is it's her kink so it sort of isn't and it is you know because <laughs> Also, he shows up just completely covered in mud, like a mud man. I'm assuming it's mud. Could yeah, be. well, I, he's he's covered himself up in mud or something because uh, yeah. obscure himself. He wasn't covered <laughs> in mud when they went over him. No, this is part of the courting ritual of the or the baby ritual of the guy of the Polish. Of the Polish. <laughs> <laughs> so he. Uh, it's just the, the mud-covered man chasing these sisters around the forest after he happened upon them having, you know, an erotic asphyxiation game. So, I mean, you're you're already in weird territory no matter what side you're on here. Yeah. And yeah, he assaults her, but it's her kink. So, you know, things are working out great for everybody. Yeah, except for, I guess, the sister who doesn't get nothing. I, well, I mean, she's sort of is like, I don't know. There, there's There's a whole weird thing. Uh, they it, it could be suggested that maybe they share him not unlike uh the the blob of flesh with a penis oh but yeah maybe he's got this incredibly stupidly long tongue <laughs> it's like a monster tongue 
Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, he, he's kissing her and then like licking her ear with his tongue just all the way over there. It's messed up. And th- this is how uh, Boro is conceived while the sister is standing and watching. Yep. Um, you know, it was a very lovely courting ritual, as he will tell us. D is for disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because a wedding is held, and the voiceover describes it very glowingly. (laughs) Yep. Nobody looks too happy. It's outside, it's in the snow. (laughs) One of those uh, outdoor dinners. And, uh, like, mother is, like, heavily pregnant and falls off a cliff during the wedding. Because dad doesn't show up. Yeah. Oh, you know, she had too much to drink and fell off a chair. Yeah, she fell from her chair after the meal. It it was a simple thing. (laughs) No, she tumbled down this fucking ravine. Yeah, she fucking falls off a cliff and she's just rolling and rolling and rolling endlessly. And (laughs) the belly turns square. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or, or or maybe it was always like that but we see it now for sure well it, like the belly itself becomes square around the box i guess i i feel like maybe the box has been generated by this accident in some sense maybe like i don't know a lot about borrow's uh real history maybe he had some sort of uh disorder that uh, came from some sort of accident his mother had i have no idea oh like Maybe, yeah, like a fetal alcohol syndrome or something. Yeah, I, like that I truly don't know. Could be what this could be about. The metaphor works anyway. Yeah, totally. So the the voiceover claims to vividly recall this event. Yeah, despite not being born yet. Yeah, although you know it's a weird event and it makes him being born in a box, which is very strange. So I don't know. It's it's a whole weird area. We can't uh, completely discount uh, the the claim. Although you know, as a narrator, already proven to be extremely unreliable. Mm-hmm. So she gives birth in a river while washing a horse. Yeah, the box just <laughs> falls out of her. It's huge. It's a big box. It's it's, big. it's got an umbilical cord attached to the box. Very yeah. strange. Yeah, to the box itself, not going into the box. So this is a thing, and I wonder as well if this is maybe a trans metaphor, because it's E for entrapped, and she she's breastfeeding the baby, squeezing her nipple into the hole, and describes himself as entrapped in my own body. Yep, which is entrapped in a house, which is entrapped in the world, I believe. Right, just uh, layers of entrapment, uh, yeah. which does feel potently like a trans metaphor. Um, I can certainly relate. Yeah. And uh, he, he's done it before. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, the, the body, the house, the country. And we, we just get a POV view of box life, just to this, the, the small circle of uh, what what's going on. Yeah, I just think it's weird that nobody thinks to open the box, but I guess he is the box at this point. Yeah, the, but the he's box... also inside the box. Well, because the box is his body. Yeah. It's a metaphor. <laughs> so 
I get that. That's why I think there's certainly the the trans metaphor is the first I would think of because specifically the first thing said is entrapped in my own body. Mm -hmm. So the idea of it as like a cocoon. So F is for fumes. Uh, the, the box and grandpa with the <laughs> a great moment of the false narration. The box is just holding a branch with apples on it. And saying, I grew up in the shade of an apple tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not quite. Like I, you know, I, I, I held some apples over me. This, this is, I, I, everything's going great. Oh, yeah. So, so the, the fumes thing is the box playing with his bedridden, heavy smoking grandpa. Yeah, he smells a certain way, like his cologne or something. Or well, it's his tears he says his salty right. wonderful salty tears right that's right i forgot yeah it's his tears that's that smell slash taste this way but it isn't because so uh, the grandpa's smoking and he blows the smoke into the box and boro wets himself and he's talking about grandpa's uh salty tears while he weeps but we're looking at grandpa's face and it's completely dry yeah, and he's the one who's he wet. he wet himself. Yeah, it's like that that smoky pee again. But again, yeah, smoke and pee kind of very closely associated. No. I don't know what to make of that, honestly. No, but it's not a paraphilia I have. I guess what can I say? <laughs> so G for gratuitous. <laughs> mm. <laughs> sounds about right. Yep. So father takes him on a Sunday excursion, and again he he wets himself. Or, oh, no, 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 it's dad wetting himself first. This is dad's thing. He just wets himself while he's walking for the sake of efficiency. He's yeah. never going to stop to pee. No, you don't have time for that. You just just go where you are. Just keep going. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> so the, the, this is where they find, they, they watch naked women in the woods, and it's bird watching. Yeah, they always refer to them as birds. Exclusively. Mm -hmm. and But there's a weird bit where a bird like an actual bird gets into the box it, it finds its way in the hole and really wreaks havoc yeah oh my god that actually really upset me because i get like it's like you know how you freak out when a bee gets in your car and like you, mm -hmm. it's like that times like a thousand i bet yeah the whole bird just flying around your box head i mean it's, yeah. it's a very strange thing yeah it's like he's inside your skull yeah ah. So H is for habits. Because <laughs> it's it's the birds thing. He gets in trouble for drawing pictures of naked ladies. But it's okay because he's really into getting spanked too. So the, the punishment is great. So th this is just reinforcing habits. And also we learned that Father has these weird images of naked ladies just glued under the table that he's looking at with a shard of mirror that he keeps in his lap. And he has these reveries during dinner where he looks into his lap for a long time. <laughs> there's, there's better ways to look at porn. It's, it's, it's so complicated. It's so needlessly complicated. But the kid, you know, he knows about it and he just kind of lies down under the table too sometimes. True, but it, it also kind of strikes me as this sort of being born in a box, the, the box of repression, the box of religion, mm. where it's just you you have to put this wall between yourself and the things you actually are interested in because it's not allowed. Right, yeah. 
that's why he's got to do like this whole complicated thing just to see boobs. Yeah. Uh, so I, for initiation, those gentle creatures with all sorts of orifices we call <laughs> birds. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're talking about the little little flying dudes with beaks, right? Yeah, no, no. So there's there's his his gal. I guess it's Olga. Olga, yeah. And he he releases a there's an, a secret trapdoor that's available in the box, and it has a feather on a stick, and then there's lots of feathers on sticks, tickling. <laughs> this this felt like a dick metaphor. <laughs> yeah when there were so many i'm like is it yeah i don't yeah, know just a, you know, french tickler lots of lots of tickly uh things and uh she throws her skirt over him so it becomes a very very much more clear thing and it's j for joy <laughs> and there's just this really lyrical strange sequence where i i think it's even sort of on the poster where olga is lying in the grass masturbating and there's fireworks shooting back and forth over her. Oh, yeah. And he's like running back and forth. And he's talking about how we really got to explore my cubicle body. Yeah, my cubicle body. Uh, the, the exploration, uh, the, the, the dawning of sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then we've got K for Kafka. We got Kafka again, you know, another major Polish artist. Yeah. So the war's over. Uh, Poland is in fucking ruins totally destroyed yeah the war wasn't good to poland no i mean poland uh did some bad stuff poland uh, was uh not uh was somewhat complicit in some bad things that's where auschwitz was yeah they, so. <laughs> they were occupied at the time it's complicated uh, yeah watch show us sometime all right uh, it's nine hours but okay. it's uh it'll tell you a lot okay i will so he thinks he sees Olga wrapped up in a bunch of red feathers. All right. <laughs> uh, and all the walls start wailing and screaming, but then he's attacked. And then she's there, but she's she like she opens up her feather dress and her skin is all shriveled and horrible. She looks like she was in a concentration camp. Looks like a yeah. photo from the liberation of the camps. Mm. Which I, you know, I, I think that that's exactly th- that's why I bring up the Poland thing. Oh, yeah, the, now now I get it. Kind of there. Yeah. So he's left in the street with the box broken and bleeding, like blood coming out of the box. Yeah, like soldiers attack him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like the front panel is like caved in. Hmm. I was like super worried for him at this point because boxes don't heal. <laughs> boxes don't really fix themselves, but you no. can fix a box. Yeah, that's true. And feathers rain down on him. And so he says, a nasty fall left me bedridden in danger of losing my sight. Hmm. It was just a fall. Yeah, just no, a no, fall. One, no one beat him up. He wasn't attacked no. or anything. No, not at all. So L for Laterna Magica, Magic Lantern. Oh. Uh, this is where he discovers film. So bedridden, he reaches his hand into his uh, busted hole, and there's this really disturbing image of the inside of the box where we see, I think there are mushrooms growing all over him. 
I thought it was eyeballs, but it could be mushrooms. Because there's tons of them just like all over. They, they're just weird little nodules and he plucks one off. Yeah, could be. It, it looks like, like, a, like a bunch of like maybe fish eggs or something. It's, it's gross, gross, whatever it is. It's really gross. But an eye is like projected on the wall of uh, the room, which sort of symbolizes, I guess, his decision to become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems straightforward. And uh, his father gives him a rudimentary camera, which is <laughs> ooh, creepy, furry, slimy. Furry, slimy, hairy, uh, just a giant cube of a camera. Right. It it is the same shape as his head. It just attaches right onto the front of it. And it's like covered in moss and fur and saliva. And it's Ugh, it's it's so gross. It it it's an outgrowth of him. Like mm. it's it's clearly made for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so M is for mortality. Uh where we've got Boro standing in front of some burning sheets in the snow because he goes home for grandpa's funeral. But the you know, there's this sort of weird thing of now that grandpa's also in a box, their commonness, their closeness is just all the all the bigger. Oh yeah. Hmm. (laughs) That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe he he's like expressing how much he he feels closer to his grandpa now that they're both like his 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 grandpa's in a box just like him. Hmm. I wonder if the box that he's in is like a metaphor for feeling dead or oh I, I got to think about this a bit more. Boro in the box it could mean so many things. Like I don't know about Borachik's actual history. I should look it up, but it it, it could be about depression. It could be living under that sort of uh, thing. But I mean, the the trans thing seems pretty strong. Just the being trapped inside the your own body uh, feels like it's, it's pretty clearly the metaphor going, especially in light of the rest of Mandico's work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes, for sure. So uh, during the funeral, N is for naked. Mom gets totally naked among all the candles of the memorial, and she flies away. Yep. Bye, Ma. Uh, <laughs> see you later, I guess. Weird line. R- reminds me of a, a, I think it's an Eric Bachman song. Uh, she spread her legs and flew away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a weird line. <laughs> so O is for obscene. Oh, because um, we haven't been obscene yet. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, sorry. not really, actually. So, so mom goes to see her lover, who's a pornographer that's what he says at least and it's he's a horse like she she says she's gonna run to her lover but he's a horse right the 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 lover like it's revealed it's like mother ran away to go be with her lover and oh wait right right no that's what it is mother runs away to her lover and we we immediately switch from o for obscene to p for pornographer to reveal that mother's lover is a horse. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Uh, so, so the bestiality thing. Right, the bestiality thing. Back. Like, it's, it's the beast. It's uh, it's in that movie. That it's sort of very referencing that. 
and I, again, him being a, a bad narrator or fake narrator, he says, my sense of decency made me look away. And we just kept him <laughs> blankly staring, unbroken. Just, just like gazing at his mother having sex with a horse. The longest held shot in the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So Q is for quarrel. He and a business partner fall out over one of their early films, which probably feels like this is an actual biographical detail i'd say it's likely he says i've completely erased him from my memory so the face is obscured anytime we see this person yep that i thought was neat so r is for reverence because he finally meets his muse Ligia, mm-hmm. and he says out of a sense of decency i shall say nothing of her uh which i in in the French, it's R for rien, which means nothing. Oh. So I will say nothing of her. Say rien. Cool. Okay. So S is for souvenir. Boro leaves Poland on a train. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's seen off by both dad and mom. Or no, I guess he's not really seen off by mom. Mom is somewhere else in a cave smoking. i don't don't really recall what what i'm not sure what to make of that she is just in a cave she just can't make it they they say mom was not able to make it Mm. (laughs) (laughs) had some important cave smoking to do (laughs) gotta smoke in the cave well it's because i i think she's upset because they killed her lover Mm. oh yeah right they that's what he says to celebrate the dad killed the horse because they made a costume out of they made a horse costume out of the horse to send with him for his films <laughs> very weird i don't know what to make of that as a concept uh, somehow i didn't make the connection until you mentioned it that that was the horse she was fucking oh yeah no the horse did... is the lover <laughs> i mean knowing boro's work made this a very easy connection for me to make <laughs> so he travels cargo yeah, they they yeah. couldn't afford to get him a real seat. He's in no. cargo like a box. Yeah. But he meets his new assistant on the train, who's just this <laughs> strange person who is lurking in the, the luggage area and finds him. So he's like, oh, well. <laughs> he looks and like a ghoul. He looks like a ghoul. And pointedly, they, the two of them have sex because he says, I have a fuzzy memory of my first homosexual experience. <laughs> So T is for take. We see them making weird stop motion movies in Paris. Has a similar start to uh, to Bendigo with his stop motion at start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he's doing like a stop motion with like actual people, and he just because they don't have they don't have film cameras. They (laughs) they don't have like motion cameras, so So... they got to do. One at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll take one shot, like move he'll go in, he'll move her arms slightly, take another shot. Right. And this goes really well. They're they're pretty successful, so he's able to get some better funding, start doing more complete pictures. Mm-hmm. He's still this whole time using that disgusting cube camera, and it just gets mm. grosser. Right. It sort of gets bigger. It uh, becomes more developed and it's like veiny. It throbs. It's it's very strange. And we get this weird bit where we're walking through this cobwebbed wood framed set that sort of moments from a bunch of his films. Like there's a few things that I recognize and lots that I don't because I haven't seen most of them. 
but he's he's talking about how it's all one film. All of his works are meant to be one film about his own life. Hmm. Uh, and then you for unanimous. The critical reception is just negative as hell. Nobody <laughs> likes his work. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're saying it's pornographic. It's kind of all the same. It's really pretentious. It's too violent. Uh, all of these kind of sound like claims that would be levied against Mandico, right? I could definitely see people making these claims about his films. <laughs> I mean, I like them, but I could see all of those claims landing uh they, yeah. they all I, I could see anyone levying those claims against him and certainly against what i've seen from borrow as well mm-hmm. uh v is for vulgarity this one's just a weird insert because there's a bird that snatches a pearl out of a vagina yep <laughs> just for real i don't know it was a, it was just a weird moment <laughs> yeah yeah it just kind of happens out of nowhere and then w is for valerian his first name uh-huh. And it's it's him doing this weird shoot where he's got a bird, like a real bird, on a string. It's like flapping away, and they're filming it with this sort of special uh, tentacle dick camera, like a, a, this <laughs> extra one that comes out of the box. Yep, that, that's what the one I was thinking of. It's yeah. like a dick vine tentacle. Mm-hmm. So X, it's just X, X rating. You know, he gets the borrow definitely got the X rating for Immoral Tales. I know that one was an X. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure the Beast was also an X. And it's it's this is him falling out of favor. It's the continuation of the fallout of Unanimous. The critics don't like him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was and, the most hated director. Oh, that's that's a tip. that's later. That's that's Joy D'Amato. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's the same kind of thing. It's it's uh, the the exact same cycle. Uh, and I, I think they're sort of reflecting on each other. It's him commenting on directors whose work he loves, but critically they are derided. Mm. Uh, just largely, like it's it's not like there's been any major critical reevaluation of Boro. He has his cult fans, but he's still largely seen as a trash director, uh, just like D'Amato, just like um, well, Darger really is, isn't really, but you know. Darger's a controversial figure. <laughs> so also with X, the dick camera, you know, the, the weird Cronenbergian dick camera, it gets really sick, which <laughs> looks disgusting. Ugh, I don't like it. My camera got sick. My organic penis camera got sick. So why is for yearning where he says, no, but I am going to keep true to myself. Mm-hmm. And last one, Z is for Zephyr. And he's just driving down this forest road with his assistant. Yep. And they're chasing this winged lady. Right. <laughs> and then it's just the, the the last bit where he goes home to see his parents one last time. Uh, they sit around a fire and it says, yeah, they never saw any of my movies. <laughs> yep. And he just slowly just... He, but we don't see it, but he just takes the box off. Right. He, he, the, the box is finally removed. He's he's able to finally be himself, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that is the end of that one. And I would say absolutely my favorite one. It's the most coherent. It is that. <laughs> it is the most, like, this is a story that we're meant to understand. This is a story, at least. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just pretty They're straight biopic. It's, 
it's abstract, but it uh, it's a narrative. It's an understandable narrative that has a beginning, middle, and end, and you can kind of understand uh, the the life it's sort of meant to represent. Even if you're not all that familiar with Borachik, you can get the contours of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was my favorite when I first saw it. I don't know if it still is. Um, hmm. This one or Af- Apocalypse After, I think, are my favorites. Uh, yeah, I agree. Both of those are my two favorites. I, I would put this one first and the other one second, basically. Uh, so next one, Living Still Life or La Resurrection de Nature's Mort. So this is, uh, the, 2012. this is the first one that's fully in color. Right. And it's got a quote from Walt Disney to open it up, which oh, yeah. is bold. <laughs> Uh, Walt Disney saying animation is the illusion of life. This one's creepy. This one's this one is very interesting to watch a couple times because it hits completely different on a second viewing. Yeah, um, she's talking at first, and you're not really sure what she's talking about. She's like, "I'd like a girl, not too pretty, not too ugly," and she's going off. It's like, "I'd like to make her smile." I'd like to be able to make her smile. And it, she's just bathed in red light and she's just describing all these features of a woman, but uh, no specifics. It's like, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not specific about any particular type, just uh, any woman. Mm-hmm. With long limbs and, and yeah, it's like, oh, that's sweet. This is, this is your ideal partner. That's cute. Mm-hmm. But no, no, of course, that's not what it's about. No. So, this one has four chapters. First, we have the dead rabbit. Uh, she's walking through this Disney-esque, beautiful, snowy forest oh, where she finds so a good. dead rabbit. I love, I love the way this snow forest looks. It looks incredible. It does have that hyper uh, animation style of like the the classic like Sleeping Beauty era mm-hmm. Disney, which is just like really hyper aesthetic, very very high color. Yep. But she finds this dead rabbit and the red of the blood and her jacket are just like extremely vivid, high contrast. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, loads the, the dead rabbit into a garbage bag and takes it home and she does her little stop motion animation of it. And this is what we see each time. She finds a dead thing, takes it back, puts it on a table, and then we see the dead animal uh <laughs> animate reanimate yeah yeah it's it's a living still life yeah like usually it'll just do like a little walk cycle right or well the dead rabbit does the the dog in bloom it's a little bit different yeah number yeah, two the dog's different she finds a dog that has been disemboweled uh it's not dead yet she kind of just lies down next to it and strokes it while it dies and then, of course, she puts it in the garbage bag and takes it home. But she's spotted by somebody. Not that it really matters. I think he is number four, right? I think he is. Uh, or involved in number four. Well, he's he, he is he literally is... the grieving man of number four. But yes, he's not yes, he is. a dead thing. But yeah, she's seen. So then she takes the dog home. She animates it. This one, flowers bloom out of its underside. Sort of as a metaphor for the disembowelment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, although it also, again, does a walk cycle, but yeah. flowers are blooming upside down under it. <laughs> All right. Sure. Three is the most ambitious one, the drowned horse. Yeah, she like needs to get someone to help her bring the horse back. Well, it seems like it's just magically lifting into the sky. Like it's clearly on a crane, but we never see the crane. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I, I assume that she rented the crane, but now that you mention it, it could just be magic. It seems like it's magic because we never see the 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 crane we just see the horse lifting into the sky and mm-hmm. we don't see like the loop that it's on or anything it's That's just true it feels don't. like it's just rising up from the forest and this time this one's at night mm-hmm. unlike the other ones which are the bright snowy daytime but also still really high contrast yeah yeah um oh man i just i love all the use of color going forward and in his films or the ones where he does do color it's just so mm-hmm. vivid so vibrant so so colorful yeah mandico loves super hyper colorization uh so this one the the guy is watching with while she's lifting the horse uh it's the same one from the previous and who's the grieving man of the next one Mm -hmm. and this one's sort of a weird one with the horse she injects it with all sorts of paint oh yeah so it's got like these blue lines going through its fur yeah, I I don't know what that's about, but you know, she just fills it with a bunch of paint, and you know, she does it. You know, stop motion reanimation, right? Mm-hmm. So fourth one is again the grieving man. It's that guy, and he's in this blue room, and water is just pouring down the walls. So the, I, I, symbolizing his grief, mm-hmm. I would say, pretty straightforward. Yeah, and uh, he's he's at a table with the woman. There, this rotating table. <laughs> And he he gets up and leaves, and the light leaves with him. Right, yes. And she describes her perfect woman again for the, it's it's the same lines from the beginning, uh, but you yeah. know obviously now it's like oh uh, now that I, we see what she does, that's creepy. And uh, the the different line, the new line that's added at the end is, "I'd give anything to see it one last time." Mm-hmm. So this would be. I presume the dead wife of the grieving man. That's that's what I get out of this. That he's, I guess, asked her to do this just to like have her appear alive one last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is weird, but you know, it's also uh, uh, early photography had lots of this. There's uh, lots of photography of the dead, uh, and you you pose them and dress them up, so you just have this one nice photo of them. Oh, I, I didn't realize. Oh, that's common. Yeah, oh. I've got a whole book about it. Wisconsin death trip. It's very fascinating. <laughs> okay, that, uh, that title makes me sound makes it sound like it's going to be about something else entirely. Oh yeah, there there's that uh, Static X album with that that's uses the what, same title. That's what that's I'm probably thinking what you're of. thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, she she stop motions her into a Medusa, which is very interesting. She's got like snaky but it, it's not snakes in the hair i think it's flowers yeah yeah but it's very medusa hmm. so that's the end of that one it's a fairly straightforward one yeah pretty direct has a plot mm-hmm. next one prehistoric cabaret made in iceland <laughs> uh this one hmm. <laughs> this one's a little more abstract i don't think it's straightforward no, both cabaret, prehistoric cabaret, and Salambo are both uh, very, very strange ones. They're they're short and they're just quite opaque. Mm-hmm. So, uh, th- with prehistoric cabaret, we have the thing at the start where the woman warns us: our perceptions will be changed, and it is a cabaret act. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this woman is our guide. We're in a small, smoky room full of topless ladies. Yep, and of course, smoking gentlemen. Smoking gentleman, it's got the pink and blue light, yep. the bisexual lighting. 
and it's a tr she's she's saying she's going to do a trip to the center of the earth <laughs> and uh her dress the, and it turns out this is important her dress has a butt window well it's it's a yeah she's got a butt plug too yeah but uh I like that there, there's this bit where a waiter comes up and gives her a drink and like, you have to pay. And it's like, no, <laughs> I am not paying for my drinks. Thank you. Uh, I work here doing an act. Go away. So, yeah, her th this is not unlike Boro's organic camera. She's got this magical camera that's got a crystal ball on the end on a tentacle. Uh, yeah. Like it, it, it comes out of the wall, you know, it's it's endlessly extendable, like one of those uh, shop facts. And it's supposed to record, I guess, the first version of yourself or your soul or something? Well, she says that it can see through time. Yeah. But it's a colonoscopy camera. <laughs> An organic colonoscopy camera. Well, and also sort of a butt plug camera. She's yeah. got this rear viewing port in her on her dress that she opens up. She says, "The camera penetrates me," <laughs> and it's it's footage is like uh, on all the walls. It's colonoscopy footage, but she's saying like, you know, the camera goes back through time. We're moving <laughs> through the tunnels of. And it's like this is a really weird fucking cabaret act and, and i like i don't think this is in any way feasible but it is kind of just a perfect uh mendico concept right <laughs> yep <laughs> it's completely absurd we see like the backs of teeth as the camera comes up out of her mouth yeah pov the camera comes all the way out her mouth and everybody claps <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they they project a bunch of movie titles on the wall uh, just a bunch of like trash movies like bury me an angel and deadly illusions mm -hmm. and everybody just gets real weird and sexy with it you know everybody's sort of kind of making out and <laughs> there's all the topless people and uh it's weird <laughs> the the tentacle retreats back into the wall and she's like did you like it say it Say you liked it. And then she's just like repeating this, th these phrases over and over again. And we get like a, a record player. <laughs> right. The record skipping and it zooms out and it just reveals that she's the only one still there. Yeah. And we're, we're dumping ketchup on the record player. Right. Cause, and, and that's why it's skipping is because it's going over the parts with ketchup. Yeah. Uh, this one, I mean, I don't know for meaning so much as this just feels like a Mendico concept. <laughs> yep. uh, cabaret act with colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mean, I like it... that it's also got this bit with movie titles where it's, by the way, I love trashy movies. Here's some <laughs> trashy movies I like again, by the way. Yeah, this one was kind of fun. Didn't I, I feel like I didn't have to think about this one too much. Uh, no, the, this one's just like, okay, what are we watching? Okay, that's strange. <laughs> You're about to see something weird. Well, I certainly yeah. did. It, it is Mendico straight. I was like, hey, want to come see something really strange? I, <laughs> I, I like to show you strange stuff. So speaking of strange stuff, next one's Salambo. Come on in Salambo and welcome to the Jambo. <laughs> this one is, I, oh man. So uh, I... This one and Notre Dame des Hormones, uh, Our Lady of Hormones. These are the two that I was like, I'm taking a break until tomorrow. And that's where I stopped uh, <laughs> after uh, 
you know, cause I watched all of them up to that point, took all of my notes. Most of them I watched a couple times and I got to those two. I'm like, I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh man. My summary of this one is, <laughs> uh, I've summed it up as just like one sentence is I just want to live my naked wilderness, isolated cabin life, but a giant blue ghost goddess keeps peeing on me and licking my butt. Yeah, this one's really strange. It, it feels like maybe it's supposed to be about some uh, long-held regret. Yeah. Because it keeps pestering her and keeps telling her not to forget. Mm-hmm. And it's this this old woman. She's naked all the time, forever naked. Yeah. It's a very old woman. She is always completely buck nude yeah. on this in, in desolate landscapes, first on a beach. Yeah, she's got like this cabin in the middle of there's nothing around there's nothing yeah and there's just this big face that keeps appearing uh with jewels it's blue it, it kind of looks like a, a hindu goddess mm-hmm. and it like hovers around her uh just huge blue and she's just leans over she's looking through the window of this fucking abandoned shack and the <laughs> the blue face leans in and it licks her butt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, licks her butt and leaving behind a ring somehow on her butt and the woman takes the ring and eats it that's that's what you do with a butt ring and then the you know the face is like don't forget salambo yeah so this (laughs) ghost has been tormenting her for god knows how long (laughs) like it, it shows the big fucking blue face with her head just in its open mouth <laughs> just it's completely overlaid. It's just her head in the mouth. I'm like, don't forget, don't forget, Salambo, Salambo. This is another one that's very short. It's like five minutes, mm-hmm. completely opaque. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit where like the the ghost thing is like stepping on her as she's hunched <laughs> over. She's like doing yard work, and it's really windy. It looks fucking terrible, and it just this its big blue foot is just standing on her back for like her entire back yeah <laughs> and it's like mocking her being old you know her her body ravaged by time it's like mocking her and then this is also where it pees on her mm-hmm. and that's it the whole thing is just this ghost tormenting this naked woman yeah, it blows smoke at her while she's trying to pump some water. Again, she's completely nude the whole time, this very old woman. And the score is... This was another one where the score was kind of annoying because it's like a crying voice Oh, yeah. the whole time and just some ambient drone. Mm. And then the, the conclusion is just this old, old woman walking away, completely bent over by life. Uh, walking away from the camera into the distance for like a full minute. Yep. I'm like desolate, windy landscape. Like, I don't know what I feel about this one. <laughs> like, I feel like this has got to be like Northern Scandinavia or something. It, it does kind of have that look to it for sure. So next one, Our Lady of Hormones, which, whoa, oh, man, this one's exhausting. This one's a lot. We're going to have crazy. words about this. <laughs> we got things. I think. I think this is the one I have the most notes on. I, I don't even know what to make of this one. I'll, I have a number of theories on this one. <laughs> I don't a have theories, of... but I've got some <laughs> thoughts anyways. The fucking blobby thing. The blobby, blobby thing's really gross. 
uh, and this one feels like this is just before Wild Boys. This is one that comes out a little bit before Wild Boys. It, it feels like it could be a prequel to After Blue. Yeah, and it, it feels like a bit of Wild Boys too. It, it's got the dick trees, mm-hmm. you know, dick trees in full force. Yeah, uh, and the, we'd say there's a sacrifice, although we don't actually see any sort of sacrifice. Oh, I guess. Yeah. But there's this this very old man who's where we learn is Oedipus. And he's he's got oh he my has, god, he's got these long nipples. Very long nipples. <laughs> they're just like they're they're a good like three four or five inches long and they just droop down and they're very thick. Uh and <laughs> and he, He's like he's being splattered with goo. As he's like goo just like... is just raining down on him, and he's like very old. He's crying. He's having a bad time. But he's like, <laughs> as he rubs his long nipples. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, the the voiceover is telling us it's uh, it's Oedipus. You know, he's he's getting this for his crimes, and he's just caressing his nipples, and goo is flying at him. I'm like, oh my god, what is happening? Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, yeah, and you think. Hey, well, maybe we just front loaded the gross and it'll all be downhill from here. No. No, this is just we're we're prepping. We're, <laughs> we're, we're getting prepping. ready. <laughs> and our lady of hormones was there. We we see floating overhead in this silent helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got our two actresses, and I think they're both the same. I think they both have the same name. I think they're both Lune. Oh, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think the characters just have the same name. Uh, just I I just have them as actress one and actress two basically, <laughs> but uh, they're they're rehearsing in the woods for something. Yeah, and they come to this clearing and they find a gross thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you pick this up? <laughs> it's since this is the main thing. It's this. It's like a homunculus, but you know, it's not. It doesn't have a face. It's a blob. It's a blob of flesh with disgusting hair on it and it's got this one it's i mean it's sort of a penis it's kind of a penis it's got it's it's kind of a penis it's kind of like an angler fish thing but it's also very much mm. a penis yeah because it's it's what keeps bobbing around and they want to lick it and kiss it and <laughs> they the the first lady who finds it she wants to keep it and the other's like i don't think we should keep it i'm trying like could you maybe just put that thing down and let's leave that's disgusting well, I'll let you lick it if you want. <laughs> We're not going to argue over this piece of old flesh. And then, you know, they spend the next 35 minutes arguing over this piece of old flesh. <laughs> this thing is dirty, it's smelly, it's gross, it's disgusting. That's why you should give it to me and let me have it. Yeah, well, she. this is where she offers her a lick, of course. Yeah. But she, she's like, all right, fine, hand it to me. And like, uh, I'll hand you you can you can lick it from there yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna continue holding on to it let me see it no see with your eyes <laughs> and the, she lowers it to her crotch level and says do you want a lick and there's like a long pause like no <laughs> <laughs> so i mean before we get too deep into it i mean the first what i find useful when you're looking at a surreal film uh, is just to break down the actions of it into very simple, plain language. And this is a story about two sort of washed up older actresses who are 
battling over this gross bobble fesh with a penis attached that neither of them really likes all that much. Both of them find kind of disgusting, <laughs> but they need it. It's important for their careers. They need this thing. It's yeah. Like a producer, maybe. Oh, I'm, I'm just, it could just be. kind of throwing it out there. Oh, <laughs> that explains the grossness and the penis. <laughs> This is what I was thinking, because yeah. this is a lesbian couple, and they're totally uninterested in this, but it's kind of coming between them, even though both of them find it absolutely foul. Yeah, okay. I could see this. I'm going to call it Weinstein. <laughs> they do give it a name. So they, they do eventually give it a name. So they, they take it home. <laughs> and they're just, they you know, they're all the way they're talking about. It's magnificently hideous. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to feed it, though? Let's inject it with gravy. Well, we're not, not there yet. First, oh. It's just like, oh, it's so hideous. Is that saliva in its hair? He says, I spit on it a little bit. And the thing is, as they're going through the forest, there's all sorts of body parts and full bodies just growing out of the trees. There's these people painted blue or black, uh, and they're just sort of coming out of the trees. They're coming out of the walls. They're in their home. Yeah, yeah. There's just people. and, and They kind of look like statues just everywhere. But they're clearly just painted people yeah. in the scenery. And, you know, sometimes you just have body parts. But th this is sort of what you're saying. It feels sort of like at Dean's house, but it's supposed to be organic. Like they're functioning arms and legs coming out of the scenery. Oh, yeah. Like that's just <laughs> the uh, the refrigerator's arm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not unlike the uh, 40s Beauty and the Beast, the Jean Coteau one, where uh, the, the whole castle is alive, you know, like in, in the, the 90s Disney version, except... They just built people into the set everywhere. <laughs> Rules. That's cool. So their their house is kind of nice. It's got these beautiful stained glass windows. the The establishing shot kind of made me think of Tarkovsky, but I don't. I don't think you've really seen any Tarkovsky. Uh, I don't know if I have. Reference. Probably not. <laughs> uh, it it definitely felt something like the sacrifice. Uh, a Tarkovsky film. Uh, just I, I guess queer neon Tarkovsky mm. would be a, an interesting path for um, Mandiko to take. I'd, I'd like to maybe see a bit more Tarkovsky influence there. Okay. <laughs> so she names the blob Zhivago. <laughs> and th this is where they're like, okay, how do we feed this thing? And uh, the second lady is like, well, I'll inject it with some gravy. They call it gravy, but it's clearly blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It is just red. <laughs> But it has no orifices, so they don't know how to feed it. So they just inject it and, uh, <laughs> well, they, they don't inject it right away. But because the, the first, the second woman is caught licking it. Mm -hmm. And the like, hey, you can't fool me. You like licking it too. I'm like, fine, fine. Let's, in, let's feed this thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they can't figure out how to feed it because it's got no, no holes. No, there's there's nothing. It's there's the dick, but yeah. the dick doesn't seem to excrete. And anyway, they 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 get a syringe and they inject blood into it, which they call gravy. Yeah, and it's hard to tell <laughs> if this thing likes it or not. It's weird because it seems to make baby burbling noises. Yeah, it goes, but then it it makes a crying noise and it jumps off the table. And the first lady thinks it's been killed. Yeah. Or badly hurt. Yeah. 
and she gets very upset. But then, you know, we flash forward and the, the, the voiceover says, our ladies rehearse the end. And they're rehearsing the end of this short. <laughs> right. <laughs> they are too. Uh, the thing, like they've draped this thing with jewels and necklaces and stuff. <laughs> it's gross. It's, it's really disgusting. It's so bad. <laughs> so the, the first lady is you know, the one that likes it. Her arm is bleeding. She's clutching it and she's proposing it. Maybe we could just share it a day each. <laughs> but she's standing over the body of the other one who seems to be dead. She's on a broken mirror and wrapped up in curtains. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got this weird bit where there's the male version of the first woman. Yeah, he shows up and he's speaking really, uh, really heavily accented English. He's driving a motorbike. He's got a leather jacket just coming through the forest at night uh, and following these two nude women with feathers, like huge feathers that they're waving in the air. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is the only time we see them. He's following them. And, you know, he's come to visit them. Yeah. And he's he starts fondling the the now bejeweled thing, as you <laughs> mentioned. It's got its pearls and shit. <laughs> yeah. And the ladies, they don't like that he's fondling the thing. What, what are you doing fondling the thing? We didn't invite you to fondle the thing. And the second lady stabs him in the skull. Yeah, with like a hook <laughs> or like a sickle. It's a sickle. It's like a miniature sickle. Yeah. Just like right into the top of the head. Uh, vicious. Which is weird because it's also just the male version of the first lady. Yeah. Like it is the same person dressed up as a guy. Mm-hmm, totally. So that you know, they they both come out. They fold him up. Uh, they like they literally fold him, mm-hmm. which is really weird. They like <laughs> fold his body parts up into uh, a rug or whatever, and they they give his blood to the thing. The thing like drinks up his blood yep. very happily. Oh yeah, Th- this he this got time. He loves the blood. Yeah. And this time it's clear. Yes. Well, I mean, before it wasn't, sh- we weren't sure. And now clearly like it's been thriving on being injected with blood. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. I, I, I love that his motorcycle starts revving like a horse morning. It's like, it's, it's morning for the guy. I never noticed that. <laughs> I think one of them calls it out. Well, it's like, oh, the motorcycle's grieving for him. <laughs> anyway, uh, they, they go on a picnic. they take the thing with them of course of course of course they're just lounging very elegant they're they're reading they each have a book they're smoking and the thing is just like caressing their feet (laughs) yep (laughs) within within a little tick and and the second lady she's like i think we should cut an orifice in it the first lady's like what the fuck I don't think that's a good idea at all. That might hurt it. What are you saying? It's like, no, you don't understand. I've been talking to it. It only talks to me. And by the way, it says you're ugly. (laughs) It doesn't want to talk to you because you're too ugly. Sounds like something a producer would say. It's like, ouch, that's brutal. And then she literally blows smoke up its ass you know she cuts an orifice into it and she's blowing smoke into the orifice which yep. this also harks back to boro with the blowing smoke into the box mm-hmm. although she's also burning it with cigarettes which i guess it also likes it's into some weird stuff you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
so the please. Uh, so one thought I had about this is for people who like hate cats and dogs, you know, those kinds of people who like just hate certain animals. That must hmm. be what us pet owners look like to them. I guess so, but this is the, the the relationship they have with it is very odd. Yeah, that's true. Strangely abusive and sexual. Yeah. So the the first lady shows up, she's completely nude, and she's like, "Okay, I'm taking the thing to bed with me." <laughs> and I I don't appreciate this lack of privacy in this household. I I should be able to take it to bed without it uh, being an issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's the two of them smoking in bed, and the thing is just there between them, like they've all just had a threesome. <laughs> and just completely deadpan, they have this exchange. The thing brings us much happiness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would like to praise the orb. Yes, the orb is good. It brings us much happiness. Uh, and then there's a tree with a butt, and it gets slapped with a rose. <laughs> just just another one of these weird insert shots, just like the pearl being uh, snatched from the vagina in Borrow in the Box. It's like, huh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it kind of reminded me of, I think, actually, the, the butt being slapped with feathers in, I think it was Borrow. Yeah, or no, that that was a Darger. Oh, yeah, was the first shot right, that was Darger. Yeah, Life and Death of Darger. Uh, and then there's this thing where the first lady's really sad, but the thing wipes away her tears <laughs> with its penis. Hearing it described is just so much funnier I, than watching it. <laughs> like watching it is like this is kind of beautiful, weird, gross, but it's yeah it's very absurd when you start to say it out loud it 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 also strokes the second lady she's sleeping and she it it strokes her face with the penis and she wakes up and she takes it outside and she goes camping with it she takes it out camping on a trip they say you know she strokes it they sing songs (laughs) kumbaya my thing kumbaya like the first lady wakes up and she finds it gone and she's very upset she's freaking out there's this really beautiful shot as uh, she rises from the mattress because she's like lying on the bed. And then it seems like she's rising oh, like, into the air like, above the mattress. Yeah, like but she's having an body experience. This is cool. This one. Because like they, they said that they've uh, done the set where the bed is in the wall and it's just her on. I guess she's like on some sort of dolly and she's gliding backwards out the door. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. totally rad yeah th- this shot was like this was so awesome i liked that one it kind of comes out of nowhere i think it's an orpheus reference uh, uh I, I probably a movie you've not seen yeah uh, Jean- no. i think it's kato uh he did the orphic trilogy and there's this one orpheus where you have uh this sort of panel between life and death that you can get into through mirrors and it's very windy and it's this corridor and people are just like kind of traveling down it and there's some shots very similar to it in a couple of these okay so uh, she opens the door and there's this huge, very serious face. I think it's supposed to be her male version. I think it's the motorcycle guy. I, I think so. Uh, and it just comes at her. So she has to you know, close the door in its face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she grabs the sickle and she's she's threatening the other lady with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like, where where is the thing? She's like, well, it's in my heart. 
<laughs> and she she reveals it's actually between her legs. <laughs> and she's like, look, we love smoking together so much. It's our favorite thing. Oh, yeah. Me and the thing. Me and the thing, yeah. 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 And she said, last night it opened up like an overripe fruit. And it told me all of its secrets. So the first lady kills her with the sickle. it's like how dare you how dare you uh make a connection with the thing it's my thing or how dare you say you're making a connection with the thing i mean whichever yeah and then you know they're they're both in shiny dresses and they have a sexy dance fight and they resurrect (laughs) yep Yeah, she she dead, but but you know it's it's like the two orphan vampires. Like, okay, we we just got to do our dance routine, and we'll come back to life. This is what we do. Yeah. Oh yeah. We are the two orphan vampires. Oh well, we are the people who worship the blobby thing. So it's just like a new status quo. They're at home in bed. They've got the thing. It's blooming flowers now. Oh yeah. (laughs) And uh, the first lady. You know the 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 one who likes it. Yeah. She she wants in, so like the second lady is translating for it, <laughs> and she says it wants to go back where we found it. Uh, it, it just it it really wants to uh, be done with this stuff. And there's this weird bit where it's in bed with two of these forest men. You know the the ones that we've seen lurking, growing out of trees mm-hmm. and stuff. So that night they return it to the forest. And a deer with breasts shows up. Yeah, a deer with actual <laughs> human titties. That <laughs> they've attached to it. And it, it, it like licks at the thing. <laughs> and it, the second lady, again, she prays to it. She calls it Our Lady of Hormones. She She's praying to it and she gets sickled in the head again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that episode of The Simpsons where Willie keeps getting axed in the back. Oh, I'm bad at this. So they dance their resurrection dance again uh, in the cemetery of forgotten actresses. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's that's what they say. This is where they're talking about forgotten actresses. Come to me, forgotten actresses. <laughs> and then we see Oedipus just hacking away at the thing, hacking at it with uh, it's like a, a butcher knife or something. Something like that. Yeah. With his long nipples. And his, like, the mother thing, which I guess is sort of his mother, you know, because Oedipus, that's the whole mother thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doing a voiceover, she says she'll take the two actresses. Or no, I think she tells Oedipus that he will take the actresses, that they will come to him. Yeah, I think so. And he says, come into my heart, lost actresses. And it's like freddy the dream master he like pans <laughs> down and their heads are just in his chest yeah <laughs> yeah like um oh what was it that one dead or alive movie where they turn into the robot with the yeah, penis arms I, I think that was three that was three yeah yeah and <laughs> so that's it that's that's the end of our lady of hormones what the hell <laughs> yeah i don't know don't know that was a lot I, I was definitely thinking mainly about the producer thing or just the the idea of them fighting over this blob of flesh that they both loathe uh, does sort of feel like sort of a, a, a it does represent the penis. I mean, it is a blob of flesh with a penis attached. That seems very pointed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's draped in like jewels and finery. 
So next one's really short. Y a-t-il une vierge encore vivante? Any virgins left alive? Oh, the Joan of Arc one, or Joan the slut. The sluttiest of sluts. Uh, yeah, she was not burned at the stake. No. That's a load of French nonsense. Of course. This one just kind of feels like Bendico leaning into blasphemy, just having a lot of fun being as blasphemous <laughs> as possible. Yep. <laughs> I love when Joan of Arc gets like the eyes at the end of strings. So weird. Because like there, there's a lot of eye stuff with this. Because first she's got this brass 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 ornate plate that is over her eyes. Because they say her eyelids were scorched off mm-hmm. when she was uh burned. And then she's just blind and wandering, left blind and wandering to uh suffer that way. Yeah. Deflowered by an English stallion ever so gently. <laughs> So then she finds a semi-virgin, which was semi-raped by one of these evil trees with penises that we've been seeing in some of these things. Yeah, yeah. So she's just on the tree dick when when she finds her. Right. So then she lays her down and she... Like, she, she, she takes her off the tree, she lays her down in the nearby meadow, and she caresses her with her eyes and we're talking literally the eyes are on strings their eyeballs are just like rolling over her body it is weird Mm -hmm. like uh like a snail yeah it's kind of disgusting (laughs) you know they're on like these red strings yeah yeah that's like how snails have sex i think i guess so so she ties her up to a post it says, like a wounded bird. Okay, I don't know that you tie wounded birds up to posts, but all right. I guess to, to keep it from wandering off. I I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's, anyway, she's naked and she's tied up to a post on the beach. And then it's like, but she ultimately killed her <laughs> in a childlike embrace. And it's like, they you know, they, they hug and she murders her, I guess. Yep. And then later, Joan is also murdered. There's some random stranger. Or a strangler, I guess. This this is a weird bit because, like, he comes up and he's trying to strangle her, and then she runs and she gets shot from behind with an arrow. Yeah, yeah, it goes like right. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's like the crazy, really spiky arrow, right? I guess it just like goes through her. She, they, they go through thing like it's not clear what exactly it was, and they state a bunch of things it could have been that she was pierced with. Mm Like the the point being penetration yeah. piercing because uh, the the whole thing about Joan of Arc as the virgin famous virgin uh, that you know but no she was actually a slut the sluttiest of sluts and it's all about penetration and rape. This feels like Mandico doing a Monty Python kind of. It's goofy. There's the whole elevated English uh, guy doing the the voice and over the whole thing and she floats away in the river just musing about her death mm-hmm. and that, that's it that's that's the whole thing the, the, this one's very short but this one feels a lot like uh wild boys and after blue this one's fully in that style mm-hmm. totally i would say th- these these last couple are the only ones that really feel like it um yeah yeah it's well i'd say the yeah the hormone one definitely 
Uh, yeah, the, the hormone one has a lot of it. Yeah, maybe maybe not so much with the earlier ones like Boro. That that's its own kind of thing. Yeah, those feel very distinctly different. Mm-hmm. So next up, Depressive Cop, which is one I really like. <laughs> I just love the title so much, and this feels like he's doing David Lynch. Yeah, I, as I sent you the uh, premonitions before uh, committing an evil deed or whatever. Yeah, uh, that it it feels like an extremely extended version of that, but the Mandico version, so it's very heightened and ridiculous and oh, kind yes. of queer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's ultra noir territory. Uh, I I would love to see him do a full noir film uh, of, of this sort of variety, or just like really mendicoized. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. So it opens with this grainy footage of two people kissing at the edge of a pool, like a, a sort of very seedy eight millimeter style look. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorite shots in the whole disc. There's the roof of the cop car with the flashing light on top, and there's just glasses and glasses of alcohol all over it, like it's a it's a cocktail table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is it's fun. so pretty cool. Just to like the the long shot of him going down the pier, shot through all of these bottles of alcohol <laughs> on the roof of his cop car. Cool. Just uh, the, what a what a potent image at the start of something called Depressive Cop doing this noir thing. <laughs> I love his voice. It's like super deep. Like, I am a cop. I am depressed. Well, he's wearing this creepy old guy mask. He does just feel like he, he looks like Psycho Cop, but depressed version. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to realize he was wearing a mask. Hmm. So he goes down this breakwater, he fires his gun in the air, and in, in, instead of the, the fire, firing of the gun, it uh, goes to an insert of someone snapping a bra. <laughs> yep, does this a know. few times. Yeah, that, that's just sort of what we get, is the bra snap instead. Mm-hmm. So he calls in a report, he says, the crab smell, it lingers. <laughs> is this gross seaside town he's just complaining about how it stinks all the time yeah yeah so there's a the woman's sewing Mm -hmm. she's sewing and there is an upside down uh uh, there's a lamp with the shade the lampshade on on upside down Mm -hmm. she's just like sitting at a table sewing yeah and you mustn't lose hope (laughs) (laughs) man i I don't think i've ever seen like a noir film in one of these seaside towns it's always like new york or chicago seen a few actually you have seen one because it's a uh, uh, serenity is basically that oh yeah i guess so although it's you know it, it, it like this it's very absurd mm-hmm. this is one of the things i also really hate he, he, there's some nail cutting where it just keeps oh, scissoring at one of the nails oh, until yeah, it's I, just I, bleeding I could, and, I could, ooh, I was not a fan of that i had to look away i couldn't yeah, that, that part is pretty gross. Uh, I, I mean, I watched it because I, I watched this like three times because this one was like, what? what is all this stuff? Anyway, <laughs> then we get another bra snap and just a bunch of giggling. It's like, oh, okay, Mendiga, you're playing with us. You're, you're just being a weirdo. So he describes the lady he's looking for. She's got an eye patch. She wears a hoodie. She's 17, blonde, tattoos, piercings. And he's describing her in very, very in-depth. Mm-hmm. And we go to this black and white basement rave 
Uh, it's the same room as the lady was in with the upside down lamp. Very distinct. Yeah. And so she disappeared after her birthday. So I assume this is supposed to be her birthday party. Probably. Uh, and uh, the depressive cop is on the floor at the birthday party, though. And everyone puts their feet on his face. <laughs> yep. So I don't know why he's looking for it. Why was he at her birthday party before she disappeared? Um, no, <laughs> this cop doesn't make sense to me. No, um, maybe so, it's a fantasy. Maybe. Oh, it could be. Like, I'm not even sure if the cop's a human, but we'll get to that. Right. So, because he gets shot, he opens up a door, someone shoots him, and then it just cuts to the mom denying rumors of uh, the the girl being bad. You know, she's not actually bad. You know, that's, that's totally wrong. Uh, you know, I, I fed her on my saliva when, when she was young. Like, uh, again with the saliva. <laughs> yeah, we were like sisters, actually. I wasn't even like her mother. The mom sounds like just a complete self-absorbed narcissist. Oh, totally. Just endlessly babbling about herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then <laughs> I like how just it's her babbling about herself and how, oh, we're like sisters. I don't like to be thought of as a mother. I feel like I'm too young to be thought of as a mother. So I like to be seen as her sister and yada, yada, yada. And then it, it looks, it pans down into her teacup and there's an eyeball in it. And there's <laughs> ah! yeah, just like this scream. Right. And then the the missing lady, she's walking along the shore, uh, unraveling a VHS tape. Yep, yep. Uh, letting it, letting the ribbon just flow in the wind. And then she's just floating in this sort of empty void. And then there's this weird bit with the mom and I guess like the stepdad or her boyfriend. And the boyfriend has his book just attached to his face. Oh yeah, and is and the mom's like saying, "Hey, daughter, sister, whatever." My boyfriend come wants you to us. come in with us. Yeah, come sleep with us. Uh, and he's reading "The Killer Inside Me," which is a very interesting novel from the fifties, maybe sixties. Uh, very intense pulp novel. One oh. I have read. Okay. Uh, my understanding, I think, I, I heard someone. I, I think uh, someone was doing another of the same writer's books. I, like, I have seen an adaptation of Killer Inside Me that was so-so. But I think uh, Bong Joon-ho was maybe doing an adaptation of his book, uh, Population 1080, which is also a really interesting one. Oh, okay, cool. Very twisted pulp novelist and pulp crime stuff. Nice. So yeah, he's got that book just attached to his face while yep. they're saying, like, why don't you sleep with us? Yeah, he's like getting up and walking towards her, not talking because he got a book on his face. Yeah, which and she says no, and mom is saying like, "Oh well, Hugh will be disappointed. He wanted you to put ink on his blank pages." <laughs> oh God, damn it! Like, Ew, what? And then uh, the, the depressive cop is standing over her in a field. She's laying on a mirror on the beach, and he takes her home. And then he's in his car and he's fondling a chicken. There's just a chicken in his lap and he's petting it. And the windscreen just is covered with white liquid. It just starts, like, (laughs) semen, I guess, starts pouring down the windshield completely, covering it. Semen or chicken poop. I would assume semen. Probably semen. And the mom offers him a blowjob. Of course. He's like, 
I want you to slap me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to feel the skin against my face. Yeah. Uh, And we, we cut to the missing girl. She's back on the beach. She's lying in some kelp. She's caressing a thing, much like the thing from Our Lady of Hormones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom plucks her eye out. Yeah, yeah. We like, I guess see... in a flashback. Yeah, but like we see it. It's not a fast thing. Like she digs in and grabs it and <laughs> has, to, has to pull it. And then <laughs> the depressive cop lies down on the ground and he makes a silly putty face print of himself in some poop on the ground. <laughs> I you saw yeah. that mystery cop. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I did it. Silly putty face poop. Uh great. And there's a photo montage of mom tied to the chair with the bra snapping. You know, we do, we do a bunch of bra snapping at the party. So it's like a flashback to the mom being tied up and maybe assaulted at the birthday party. Yeah, like this Well, she's lecturing everyone. <laughs> yeah this is weird because it looks like just photos you would take at a party where nothing nefarious is happening except that she's tied to a chair yeah and there's just like she's dudes just... sitting there holding their beers and and she's unleashing this pointless lecture about you know the youth of today yeah uh and she calls for the depressive cop elroy elroy uh but then it pans down and his mask is just at her feet with an octopus coming out of it like there, there's like i i get maybe he turned into an octopus or maybe he was always an octopus <laughs> and she screams just like when when the eyeball was there and that's the end so that's and there's like vint- yeah and there's like vintage porn during the credits mm-hmm. like very like vintage old stag films yeah like, huh okay okay <laughs> uh just him playing with noir tropes it kind of awesome i i sort of love that one it's one of my favorites yeah uh, i didn't really get it but this one was i liked this one it was different from the others yeah Um, and last one is apocalypse after ultra pulpe uh this is the only one that's in between the two movies so in between wild boys and uh after apocalypse or after after, after blue yeah yeah this one felt the most i think the closest to after blue well there's definitely stuff in this that is in after blue it's mm-hmm. got the creatures from after blue right yeah oh yeah the it, creatures with like the, the rock faces oh man. yeah the, those the are sort cool. of crystal dream monsters mm. uh, I, I, this kind of feels like it's almost a behind the scenes after blue it feels like it's sort of uh test footage for it oh kind so, of uh, our, our character, Apocalypse, sort of our, our main one, is asked by the director, who's sort of the other main character. Uh, she's like, can you, I, uh, the, the director wants to film her nude, uh, covered in lizards. She's like, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this sort of feels like a, a sort of conversation that Mandika would have with an actress. <laughs> so she goes up to this biomechanical video jukebox. She starts fingering it. Yeah, she interacts with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the director tries to seduce her, but she's like, no, it's over. We, we made the film. You got what you wanted. Uh, call me by my real name now. Yeah, come on. 
And then they they start kissing anyway, and there's these rainbow lights flashing in their mouths while they kiss. She says, this is the last time, Joy. <laughs> I, I love the rainbow, like, Christmas light in her mouth. Super cool. It's a good, just a great effect. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Joy D'Amato is the director. Uh, obviously a riff on Joe D'Amato. Very controversial exploitation director. So so he did Endgame that we watched way back in the day? I th- think so. I mean, he is prolific. Okay. Uh, I've seen a lot of Joe D'Amato films. Uh, let me just uh, pull up the IMDb. I'll get the number of movies because it's absurd. 199. Oh, my God. I couldn't make it a full 200, huh? I mean, some of them are definitely porn, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, just tons and tons and tons of movies. Uh, wow. Uh, crazy amount of movies in the 90s. I guess that's when he started to do mostly porn. Uh, Deep Blood is a, is a Joe D'Amato. That's when I really like his Jaws knockoff. Okay. Cool. Uh, there's Killing Birds. That's one I know. Uh, oh, there's so many. Yes, Endgame is indeed Joe D'Amato. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Ator, Caligula, the untold story. (laughs) (laughs) Porno Holocaust. (laughs) The softer side of Caligula. There is also one called Paradiso Blue. Oh. Uh, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. (laughs) Uh, Did a bunch of the Emmanuel movies. You know, just all sorts of this sort of stuff. Uh, Trash Auteur did most of the Emmanuel movies, which are... I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen many of them, but they are porn adjacent. <laughs> uh, Severin just put out a huge box of them that I'm considering getting at some point, but I'm not in a rush. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so there's Jizu, their baboon, who's dead, who's like an undead baboon, I guess. Yeah, sometimes he can talk, but sometimes mostly he just leads you to places or just watches things. And they mentioned that he's dead pretty soon here because there's like it's it's under a plastic sheet and it wakes up and everybody's just sort of exchanges glances, you know, the <laughs> the baboon and the two women. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joy's like, my next film will be about girls at sunset. And then blood pours out of her mouth, which is weird. <laughs> it's just a thing that happens in these. Get, get yeah, fluids. There's, there's yeah. fluids dripping all the time. <laughs> so Jazoo leads them somewhere. They they get in their pickup, and there's this red fog that Jazoo is leading them through. And that's where they say, even dead, he can still move. <laughs> yeah, this monkey... Uh, I don't know about this monkey. I Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. It's the cover art. Yep. It's, it's, uh, you know, he, he's very neon. He's got his bright green eyes. Uh, always, it's a strange look. Yeah, he's always just... He's never far. He's always mm-hmm. at least watching. Sometimes he's on screen, sometimes he's off, but he's always there. Yeah. So there, there's there's first these two body doubles, the the two girls who die in, her, in a couple places in the movie and come back. Mm-hmm. They're, they show up for this photo shoot at, at a set in like the desert. There's a big yep. matte painting background, backdrop, uh, and then a bunch of real cattails. You know, not cattails, but like the, the plants. Yeah. reads mm-hmm. they're they're talking about the set director giger uh i guess 
you know, reference to H.R. Giger, you know, uh, the guy who designed Alien, gotta be. Makes perfect sense, the (laughs) the biomechanical stuff. They say, you know, he's he's really handsy. He's always grabbing you. (laughs) And the voiceover is like, body doubles do not like to age. Uh, There's this whole thing. It's it's sort of the same with Our Lady of Hormones, but this one too, where they're talking about aging actresses and sympathy for that. Oh, yeah. And then they get to talking about regressing. Right. There's this whole thing of regressing back in time, uh, regressing into beast forms. Uh, and they're celebrating the lead actress's birthday. And there's this really jacked up birthday cake. It's the 36th birthday and it looks just fucking <laughs> it's a shitty cake. It doesn't look that great, honestly. I, I think I had a better one for my own 36th. I don't do cakes. Uh, I don't do birthdays. But uh, uh, Uli shows up, who is uh, Apocalypse, but Uli, I guess, is her real name. Mm-hmm. And she she emerges from the backdrop, and she's possessed. Yeah, possessed by, I guess, the costume that she's supposed to be wearing for the film. Which is the one of those beasts with the crystal head that goes over the head and gives you... Uh, dreams and visions in after blue yeah oh man those were such cool aliens yeah it's it's fucking bizarre like a drug beast Mm -hmm. and this is where they're talking about regression into the infinite which is sort of the idea of those things i guess the the idea is that you you it it comes down over you and you regress into your own history and, and then into the history of the world or something it's a psychedelic experience it's it, the way they're describing it kind of sounds like what uh, she was trying to describe in uh, prehistoric cabaret. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of these things that sort of echo through uh, a lot of the work that I'm not totally sure what to make of them. But mm. uh, time and mortality is a big one and just a sort of flexibility of time. Yeah. Desire for time to be less linear. Mm-hmm. So she just like vomits green goo all over them and they die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like toxic goo and they, they seem to die of it, but they'll be back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They, they always come back. Because this was just a filming, maybe. Yeah. Because like we see it happen and then, you know, she emerges from the costume. And she's like, I'm not 36. That's bullshit. And the director <laughs> says, the director calls cut. Like, oh, perfect. That's great. And then they go to another set. This one's super hyper-modern, but it's kind of like Haosu, this room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of like Haosu, isn't it? Yeah, you got those two burning mannequins outside this glass wall. It's super modern with the oh, furniture. Yeah, this is the one where I took that picture. <laughs> yeah. Of, uh, what did I call it? The the award for the most weird shit going on in a in one frame that you don't want context for. Because, like, Jesus outside with the burning mannequins in, like, the yard. It, it reminds me a lot of the main main girl's uh, home in Haosu, like, before they go to the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the... <laughs> the director is just getting real sexy with it. She's yeah. really into it. Taking photos and, like, mm, tongues out, masturbating, and talking about having the tongue out and masturbating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is great. This is the best. And uh, I, she's playing the director also. Like she's 
doing a version of the director being the director and then she she urinates some green goo (laughs) (laughs) different sort of green goo from the stuff that's vomited it's got berries in it (laughs) some berries (laughs) yep and the director's like perfect and the room goes dark like just with like the the burning heads in the background stay lit, but everything yeah. else goes dark. It's like okay, okay, yeah. And it's this whole thing where the, the this sort of strange reverie about seeing a dirty movie when you're too young for it. And just again, me flashing back to the immoral tales thing. It kind of makes me think of that because it's this vivid memory of seeing something that was just way too much for you at too young of an age, and just like I remember seeing this scene with tons of naked bodies being burnt on a beach and this crazy exploitation film that I saw and the director's like listing off different movies that it could be. (laughs) Yeah. While, while fondling her. Yeah. And mostly Joe D'Amato movies Mm -hmm. are are what are being listed. I I think the very first one guessed is Emmanuel and the last cannibals. Like, Oh, it's Emmanuel and the last cannibals. Like, I think there was this and this, Oh, it could be this or maybe this one. Yeah, and she's like, I am 10 years old. Yeah, it's it's her describing having a sexual awakening. Hmm. While the monkey watches. Well, the the monkey is watching from outside, from the window, and the director is like uh, up against her with her arms around her, caressing her Mm -hmm. and undressing her. Yep. And the other two girls uh, with it, like in the reflections of the burning mannequin heads. Uh, right. They 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 kiss each other and they're drinking champagne and just sort of listening to all of this going on. And this is where the director's like, I am the most hated filmmaker of my generation. And it's <laughs> it's the Boro thing again, like just unanimous critical hatred. Yep. <laughs> and Uli stumbles down this hallway of all these grotesque nude figures all making out with each other as this uh, speech about being the most hated filmmaker of all time goes on. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she starts making out with one of them, obviously. Sure. Might as well. Uh, and there's there's these cool pink neon tubes in the ground lighting the, the room. Uh, and everything else just sort of recedes away. You just got the pink light and them making out. Mm-hmm. So there's Val, the makeup artist, uh, setting up it, it's clear it's a very mendico kind of set with, yeah. with the body doubles yeah yeah she's like they're like dead tied up to a tree or something and she's setting that all up and this person comes by a- ambiguously gendered mm-hmm. uh, and and kisses val and says i liked when you put the makeup on my penis and they've got like rocks like part of their makeup is like they've got like these sharp rocks on their cheek so when they're yeah. rubbing against her, it's making her bleed. And the, she, a tear runs down her cheek, but it's glittery and silver. Yeah. And the camera is just like slowly backing out uh, the whole time. Uh, and they're, we, we find that they're making out next to the chatting body doubles. <laughs> yeah. Who haven't stopped or slowed down their conversation. They're still just chatting, you know, yeah. uh, uh, and the they come to the word our opinions won't make it to mars uh some quote from someone i guess yeah and then it cuts beautiful sorry. what does it mean and then i guess val the makeup artist is transported to the moon 
or no to the to mars rather she, yeah she gets transported to mars her parents uh brought her there for her own good because it's dangerous on earth because there's like she's she's also blindfolded and drunk yeah and there's like an eclipse in the sky mm-hmm. uh, and she's she's drunk uh and she, there's like a hand on a string just like a, a severed hand hanging oh, on yeah. a string she keeps like bumping up against it when she bites at it she's like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> mm. and there's a voice and she's mom and <laughs> like oh you were hungry my darling you know cause she's she's chewing away at the fucking hand yeah it cost us a lot of money to send you to mars i don't want to be on mars mom he's like come on this is your 23rd birthday present he's like well i want to come back <laughs> will you make love with a man on mars I'm like i don't know no really that's not really what i'm worried about right now it it seems like this sort of weird it's it's an absurdly heightened version but mom is giving her this gift to extort her into being straight and mm-hmm. finding a new career she doesn't like the movies she makes yeah it's like you need to stop making these disgusting movies and also you need to sleep with men instead of women yeah so you know we're gonna put you away to christian camp i mean mars and mars is just like full with full of penis imagery it's got all these penis shaped rock outcrops uh martians show up and are chasing her around them uh they've got those organic cameras and they're filming mm-hmm. her with them dick cameras yep and jesus there he's watching as they strip her yep just hanging out and then you know they they pile into the pickup from earlier and drive off yeah pick up on mars yeah <laughs> and then there's there's this guy Constantine, who's the, the, our our other character. He pulls there. There's a phone ringing in Jesus' guts, and he pulls it out. Right, and the phone is attached to his guts with an umbilical cord. Yeah, it's like an organic phone that's built into Jesu. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, it's like oh, it's Frida Boken. She died seventy six years ago today. <laughs> <laughs> But she's right behind you. She tells Constantine that he's going to die in one year. And Cato told her to call. And th- this is where we're in one of those Orpheus corridors that I was talking about. <laughs> yep. it, it, it's quite like that again. Mm-hmm. And uh, which I, I, you know, it's, it's this is sort of the, the, the passageways between life and death in those movies. So I guess it's sort of she's within there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and being caressed by ghouls. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're having this conversation. Uh, he never turns around to see her. Well, and th- it, it's also a scene of the film because the director's yeah. in the back of the pickup truck shouting at her, more eroticism! <laughs> more erotic, more caressing! Now, discover her! And so she starts telling this story about a sculptor who was crushed by a huge block. And we, we, we see his just muscular body uh, on a slab. And there's this leather-clad man who puts a lily on his chest, just places a, a nice flower, and he kisses him and climbs on top. And they go into the crypt together. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Frida lying on the slab. You know, the, Frida, the, the lady who, who phoned and was in the, yeah. the Orpheus corridor. She's lying on the slab, gyrating against uh, this smoking void <laughs> with a neon circle around it. Where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's it's like 
a circle where the two of them were sucked into the crypt. Yeah. So it's like she's she's gyrating against death, like the <laughs> the, the the portal to the other world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she says, "He he who does not embrace death cannot be a poet." Well, and this is an Orphic thought. the The first movie in the Orphic trilogy is "Blood of a Poet." Oh, okay, okay. So I, I think the the relationship to Orpheus is very important here, uh, but uh, never really directly expressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not much is directly expressed in these. True, true. And then Constantine, he vomits up a bunch of green goop. <laughs> Did this one have blueberries? No blueberries in this one. He says, my poetry, it flows. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> His poetry vomit. And then it's just Joy, as you know, Joy D'Amato listing all of these film titles that uh, she has made or is going to make. And all of these feel like they could be potential Mandico film titles, right? Yeah, well, the last couple are. Right, exactly. And then it's like, okay, and I'm going to make this, and I'm going to make this. Uh, and the camera woman is walking down this line of corpses, I guess, and they they fall every time the camera passes them. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, once the camera's passed them, they they no longer exist; they're dead. Yeah. And we we're back at the start again, uh, right where you know the uh, apocalypse is yeah. playing with the jukebox, and but Jazu is in charge now. And he he tells the director to strip down, and she she reveals this huge ultra pulpe, the name of the the short carved into her back. Yeah, that was. I don't know what that's about. And that's it. That is the end, and that's <laughs> the end of the whole set. Oh man, that was a lot. <laughs> it's a whole lot of stuff. It's fucking crazy. The just all of these are nuts. Yeah, that like that, I, I think this just like fried my brain. I think I I loved it, but I think I'm done with Mendigo for a while. Well, that's fine because there isn't anymore. We've watched oh, okay. all of it. There's well, there's then. nothing else made. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are other short films, but none of them have been released. So we're we're up to date. We've we've now seen all of the Mendico. I think we have a pretty strong idea of uh, the Mendico <laughs> aesthetic style concept uh yeah yeah fucking plants fucking horses uh dead things goo penises uh fluids a lot of fluids lumpy flesh fluids yep (laughs) yeah i I mean you're you're uh saying a lot of things that are the same thing it's you know fluids flesh and nature that is very horny nature that has sexual organs like uh, inanimate objects full of sexual organs everything mm-hmm. is sexual yeah yeah and it's all uh, also a lot of like transformations yes transformation is a really big factor of all of them uh and ambiguity uh ambiguity in terms of whether anything is good or bad it's just uh, things exist and do their things yep <laughs> so pretty wild time uh quite a bunch of stuff uh any last thoughts on all these oh wait wait, wait. first uh, this is replaced in the stacks with vestido en azul or dressed in blue oh it's a 1983 documentary just re, uh in in spain post franco just uh, after you know their uh, crazy dictator was finally out of there okay and it is about uh six trans women 
who uh, get together for a luncheon to talk about their experiences in Spain as trans women at the dawn of the 80s. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I, I hear it's supposed to be really good. Very little scene because, you know, Spain in 1980, mm-hmm. trans stuff. I mean, uh, people weren't talking about it then. No, they were not. Uh, so that should be pretty interesting. Uh, any last thoughts on all these crazy fucking Mandico shorts before we head on to part two? Yeah, I want to lick the blobby thing. I don't want to lick the blobby I don't thing. really want to lick the blobby thing. I'm pretty good without it, thanks. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Joe Swanberg's 2011 picture, Silver Bullets, first in the Full Moon Trilogy. Now, I remember very much, uh, you said last week when I picked this movie, you weren't sure if I was going to like this. Yeah. That's a sentiment that I continue to share, that I share now, having watched it twice. I don't know if I like this. So I, I rewatched it after we talked last week, and I did like it quite a bit more personally. Uh, and and my big thing, and it's partially tied to the other stuff I've been watching, I've been doing a whole bunch of, doing a deep dive into Buster Keaton, watching all the shorts, watching his first couple features, and particularly because of the score for this movie by uh, the Orange Mighty Trio, which feels like a score for you know, a, a score that a modern score for a silent picture mm-hmm. feels like a, a man with a movie camera, a modern score that they do for that. So uh, it, it kind of struck me that this movie plays better if you watch it more as a silent film. Like it does obviously have dialogue, but most of the dialogue is innocuous and doesn't matter. Like it, it's primarily uh, improvisational. So there, there's only like a couple points that need to get out in any one conversation, uh, sometimes none. And most of it, it's more you're getting more communicated to you by the way they're acting, by the way they're framed, the, the, the their expressions rather than what they're saying. What they're saying doesn't actually tend to reflect what they actually mean. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of struggled with that because I, I tend to take... When someone tells me something, I tend to think that they mean the thing they said. Yes. And, and I have to like reroute my brain to even acknowledge that there's a possibility that they don't, which is something I can do. It's just, it's hard. Yeah. So I had some trouble with this. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, it's why, why I was saying to you before you watched it, it's like, don't really pay much attention to the dialogue. The dialogue largely doesn't matter. Uh, you kind of want to get just a couple key points where someone says one big thing and you're like, you get the gist of the conversation, but it doesn't really matter what words are said. You're more looking at the way they're reacting to things that are said. It's more about, uh, the, the physical acting rather than the words. The, the words don't matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which made it tricky to take notes for this because i was like okay so what is the important point of this bit there is one i can feel it but i didn't always i don't think i don't know if i always found it yeah i mean i think i have a pretty good idea overall and i have some sort of theories about the point of this movie or sort of who this is about uh so one of the the points you mentioned last week you were talking about when i said we haven't covered mumblecore before you brought up primer 
Yeah, which I don't know where I got in my head that that's what that was. I don't know how that got connected. But no, I, I'm walking back my statement. I agree with you. It is a mumblecore movie. It's as I said, it's a mumblecore sci-fi, but it is fully mumblecore. It's in the same universe as this, you know. And I think maybe our main character, or secondary main character, Ethan, the boyfriend, the director, the filmmaker. Uh, I think he might be informed by, if not exactly based on Shane Carruth, director of Primer. Okay. Um, I wouldn't know, but I'm, I'm <laughs> sure it's possible. <laughs> so there's, there's a couple things with this, and it's something I didn't get into when we covered Primer. Uh, it's something I, I would talk about when, or will talk about in more depth when we get to his other film, uh, Upstream Color. Oh, right. So he has retired from film. Those are his two movies. The reason okay. he's retired is he's kind of canceled. Oh, okay. Okay. So Charlie, you know, the, the best friend, Charlie, mm -hmm. Amy Simetz plays her. Okay. She was the star of Upstream Color and was Shane Carruth's girlfriend. Okay. Oh, I'm starting to. Th okay. 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 Yeah. Continue. It's I'm it's a very strange. It's it's quite an intense movie. It's a very. It's sort of about codependency, and it's all this. It's it's a sort of weird Lovecraftian thing with codependency, and these. It's a lot of just the two of them, like in tubs together, just as <laughs> sort of close together all the time. They're sort of uh, irrevocably tied together by this strange uh, psychedelic experience. But it came out after that movie that uh, she she said that it was a very abusive relationship, and that he was an extremely emotionally abusive boyfriend. And that's when he retired from film. Right. So I do wonder to what extent Ethan might be kind of semi-based on him, because I don't think he's based on Swanberg. I think Swanberg is obviously someone who's much more self-aware than that. <laughs> you know, having yeah, seen this yeah. and other stuff, like uh, him playing the the awful boyfriend in VHS in, in his sequence there. Yeah, I, I think you can't be self-aware and still make Ethan a character based on you. Yeah. It, they, you can't do both. Yeah. Ethan's pretentious in a way that is unlikable and is clearly contrasted with Ben, Ty West's character, who kind of feels like Ty West himself. <laughs> uh, I really like Ben. Yeah. Uh, the first time I watched it, I really did. The second time I was like, hold on now is this guy maybe a predator because he's being filmed that way sometimes but then yeah. i realize he's only being filmed that way when we see from ethan's viewpoint looking at the photos from the photo shoot exactly and i like there is sort of a, a sense where i mean he, he you know he's the director and he probably shouldn't be sleeping with his star who it's her first real movie it kind of does uh -huh. seem you know it's a little sketchy but he is also professional about it you know it, it's sort of a mutual thing you know the the next day like he stops it and the next day yeah. he, he is like okay so what happened it, I, you know wh whatever comes from that you know it's it's external to what we're doing uh no reflection on our professional relationship which will stay professional 
Yeah. And so and- he and whereas there is no separation between personal and professional with Ethan, that does it, there's no yeah. separation at all. It doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though they're not working together anymore, Ethan and Cl- like Ethan still treats Claire like she's his actor. Like, yeah. like he's trying to get her to perform for him, and she's like, "No, I've got my own thing going on right now, and you need to have your own thing going on." And it's like I'm trying to make you my thing that's going on right now. Yeah, he's he's got this extremely elaborate sex film project. <laughs> That's going to change the world. Otherwise, it shouldn't exist. It's so weird because I I guess that's the other part of it, that it comes out that he doesn't like movies and he doesn't even understand movies and it's not what he's about. It's just it's the only way he knows how to uh, try to connect with people, which, again, is maybe sort of a commentary on Carruth, because I know Carruth was like a. He he was like a, a dot com billionaire or something. He he made a whole bunch of money in the early dot com boom. Oh, okay. okay. And then you know he decided to do these couple of very very techy films, like as you saw with Primer. It's well, yeah, it's... kind of impenetrable. <laughs> it's extremely complicated. I don't remember anything about it now, <laughs> other than like the basic premise. Right. I mean, it's it's and tough. It it's very complex. So trapped in these loops that they just yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know how much of that is uh, uh, actually a thing, but it certainly was in my mind watching that knowing Simat, uh is like was his girlfriend, maybe, I think maybe at this time. So it does kind of seem to be in the air. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. This movie is actually very short. It's like maybe 20 minutes longer than the longest short on uh, After Apocalypse. Yeah, it's 70 minutes long. Yep. And yeah, it's it's mostly just people talking to each other in rooms. As I said, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's like what Mumblecore is, but that's Pretty what much. this is. That's that's basically okay. the thing with Mumblecore. You have a lot of conversations. It's a, And it's yeah. a lot of improvised conversations where you have a core concept that uh, people are trying to get around and then... You know, you're you're trained actor, so you do some improv stuff and you play around the thing you're you're getting at, and then you sort of uh, see where that makes the movie evolve more. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, like, the conversations do feel genuine. They they mm. don't feel like anything anyone would ever write, but certainly stuff that people would say to the point where it kind of feels it almost feels like a like a found footage thing at times. It feels like it was my biggest problem watching it the first time is that I found it too exhausting. Uh, in in a certain frame of mind, you watch it and it's like I'm in I'm at the lamest party and I can't stand listening to these people drone on about their stupid bullshit anymore. <laughs> and none of it matters. And like, what the hell is their problem with their fucking relationship? Like, leave me the hell alone. Oh, my God. Yeah, there, yeah, there is a lot of that. Um <laughs> Which, again, is why coming back to it in the frame of mind of the silent films and watching it more just for the overdriven string trio music uh, and the imagery, which is it kind of does have a late silent cinema cinema imagery style where you do have kind of really interesting framings that they'll hold for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they also do a lot of like certain characters will just be like completely in shadow for an entire mm-hmm. conversation or like all in red light not a lot of moving a lot of times the characters when they're talking aren't even looking at each other like mm-hmm. ethan will be looking at a wall and she'll be looking at a mirror right and it's it's the same thing in terms of with the disconnect between what's being said and what's being felt is there's just this lack of communication where people just can't face one another. People are not uh, realistically communicating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we begin uh, with a prologue that (laughs) the second time I watched the movie, I actually forgot that this happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have two characters who aren't really in the rest of the movie, uh, Sam and June, Mm -hmm. who are meeting up and... I'm trying to figure out what their relationship is, but it feels like they are exes who are trying to still be friends. They they definitely seem to be besties. Uh, I like. I'm not really sure. June shows up later, right? Sam shows up very briefly uh, during an audition scene. Right. I don't think June shows okay. up again, but I could be wrong. So Sam is played by Larry Fessenden, who's another indie film director he did a bunch of indie horror films oh, okay, okay. And, and he just seems to be one of these dudes who's buddies with everyone in the independent film industry he just seems to be a real booster someone who uh, everybody gets along with i've seen him in so many independent films uh, and he's distinctive he's got a real look to him yeah I, I had him in my notes as the young jack nicholson-ish guy yeah, he's got a he's got like a classic Jack Nicholson kind of scruffiness to him. Yeah, not exactly though. He's no. a little little more baby face than Nicholson ever gets. Yeah, and it's a a distinctly indie film riff on it. You know, 90s aughts indie film kind of style. He he's a little more ragged. He's kind of a little wilder looking. Yeah, yeah. And they're just kind of hugging <laughs> yeah just kind of talking hugging is like oh well you're doing good you got a nice place i'm, I'm happy for you i don't honestly know what the point of this part was because I, sam only shows up for a very brief period and i don't think june shows up again yeah i kind of think it's more just them essaying another relationship style where we've got mm. these people their their relationship was amicable uh whatever has happened in the past is the past and they're not uh like they're clearly not stuck they're very comfortable with each other and uh you know there may be some ambiguity to the relationship but it doesn't matter Uh whereas of course ethan needs things to be completely under his control and ben is pretty chill but it's also he's it's not clear where he is yeah yeah there's a few times where it feels like ben is chill but he even says like he's got some other ulterior motive for making this movie that he dares not speak and we never find out what that is yeah it's it's this thing that he is an auteur and he has things to say and his work does have importance and meaning to him but he's not up his ass about it the way that Ethan yeah. is. He's uh, more able to make a commercial product that reflects how he feels. And and he's not, uh, he, he doesn't view that as selling out. Mm-hmm. He, he sort uh, of views I, that as the work of the artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think that this prologue 
kind of parallels the conversation in the epilogue between Claire and Ethan that they have. Exactly. You know, uh, contrasting feeling, former yeah. couples. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where uh, maybe maybe they're not going to end so amicably. <laughs> they're, well, or, or maybe they will. It's hard to say. They could. I don't think they do. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think it so. It kind of seems like uh there there's there's nothing to go back to at the end yeah yeah you're right yeah so after they talk and cuddle for a bit and we see you know one way that a relationship uh with two people who are in the movie industry together uh one way that it can turn out we get our opening credits which is a woman howling in the night while while the credits play yeah, very uh, mumblecore opening credit sequence. This reminded me a lot of For the Plasma had a similar kind of look to it. Uh, I, I have seen a handful of films in this genre, and they do kind of have, you'll, you'll have kind of an elegant script, and you'll just have someone doing something kind of abstract next to it. <laughs> yeah, as I, at first... I just thought it was like, oh, yeah, weird indie stuff. I had just bought, watched a bunch of those uh, Mandico shorts, so I was like, right. it didn't even feel weird at this point. Um, yeah, th- this is much more down-to-earth than Mandico. This is pretty slice of life for the most part. Oh, yeah, like there is... <laughs> okay, I'm going to be honest. The first time I watched the movie, I thought that a murder happened in it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and then I realized the second time I was like, no, no, what? This is the I'm watching the movie that they made. Right, yeah. I there I'm pretty sure there's a suicide. But there's it's it's it's, it's unclear, intentionally but I ambiguous. Think so. I think there's I think we're supposed to take from the ending that uh it is. Yeah. Uh, but I'm but, really interested to discuss the, the closing credits in relation to that, but when we get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we open with uh our main guy, Ethan, uh, this fucking guy. He, um, it's strange. I didn't hate him as much. I found him very insufferable on the first watch, but not quite as much on the second watch. I kind of got how he's this damaged person who just is incapable of reaching out. He is just totally uh, shut down, and he is trying to reach people through art but he doesn't actually believe in the art and he doesn't like the art and he kind of actually hates movies it's just he doesn't like watching them he doesn't like making them (laughs) but you know if he directs people then he can connect with them that way by directing them well he's kind of hoping i mean that that's part of it is he wants to control the relationship as a director and making his girlfriend his actress and uh those sort of being entwined roles which she is completely aware of in a way that he is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> that's the biggest problem of Ethan is as much as he's up his own ass, he has no self-awareness or very yeah. little. Yeah, no, he, he has no idea that what he does is what he does. Yeah. And he, he even is reflective at times and he does get to that point where he's like, I hate movies and I hate all this. Is like, But it's the only thing I know how to do. It's like, do you know how to do it, brother? <laughs> <laughs> it's how it's the only way I make connections to people. Anyway, let me film me making out with you. Yeah, and just yeah, it's it's weird. It's strange. Uh, so he's watching this interview with this uh, other guy. Uh, I don't know who he is, but talking about like, yeah, I I did my writing and all this to get attention, and then well, what happened was 
I got it and I wasn't ready for it and it actually it really sucked and it wasn't what I wanted at all. I believe it's Zappa, isn't it Frank Zappa? So I think it's an interview with him. Oh, is it? I I, I can't I remember. I mean, I, I, it was someone recognizable to me. Oh, okay, it's not somebody who I knew. Okay, but I, I feel like it's somebody. Yeah, somebody. I, think, I believe it was Frank Zappa. Okay, okay, and yeah, Ethan is watching this interview very intensely, but without a shred of self awareness, realizing that his whole arc is being outlined right here. Right. Yeah, Frank Zappa was. It, 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 if it wasn't Frank Zappa in this, there was something else that I watched this week that had him doing a talking head thing in it. But uh, Frank Zappa is a dude who just was always very bitter in interviews. He he looked back on everything and was like, ah, it was all garbage. And, you know, he has albums about how much the hippies sucked during the time <laughs> of the hippies, even though oh, those, those were sort of his fan base. He was a weird dude. Angry guy. Yeah. It's it's that uh, clown thing, you know. Comedians are very fucking angry people. Oh God, <laughs> that that's why the most psychotic uh, of the Watchmen was the comedian. Yeah, well, arguably. Uh, well, yeah, um, yes. Who's the most psychotic Watchmen? Christ. Yeah. Um, There's a whole TV show now. There's a whole bunch more of them. Oh man, uh, yeah, I heard about that. I haven't watched it. I hear it's good. Hmm, I've heard. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what Alan Moore thinks. Uh, he hates it. He hates everything. Alan Moore doesn't like things. <laughs> Has Alan Moore ever liked an adaptation of his work? God, no. I don't think so. No, he does not feel that his work should be adapted. He just doesn't like that shit. And to be fair, most of them have been fucking talk shit. Oh, well, yes. I mean, if he were to say, I hate Watchmen, I'd be like, you're right, man, that fucking adaptation blows. And if he were to say, I hate that fucking League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, like, you're so <laughs> right, my brother. Oh, man. I read the novel, or I read the graphic novel of Me for Vendetta after watching the movie, and I was like, these are two different stories. Kind of. Although, the damnedest thing is, that's the best one. Mm-hmm. That is really the one that is least tainted. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of tainted, uh, Ethan is also looking at uh, pictures or like, you know, files, images of the film that he made with his girlfriend, Claire, and, right. you know, reminiscing. Yeah, he's got all this footage of their sex movie. Because that's yeah. the kind of movies he makes, movies of people uh just making out no but you see the story behind them is i don't even know what he tries to justify it as we don't even find out what he tries to say it is yeah i mean i kind of feel like maybe here filmmaking is more of a metaphor but it, it does sort of strike me as uh maybe relating to caruth like i was saying but either way just uh, it's it's the the film is the relationship the relationship is the film and it is that part later where he meets her friend, her best friend. And he's like, yeah. oh, I kind of like her. I want to cast her in my movie. Like, you want to cast my best friend as your girlfriend. <laughs> do you not and, care how uncomfortable this makes me? Well, well I still want to do it. Well, and it's also, you want to cast her as your girlfriend in the film, which means, which is your whole life. And the movie is your whole life. And the movie is you. So you're casting my friend as your new girlfriend in reality and i'm aware of it are you aware of it <laughs> yeah well 
It's like, mm, but I want to. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has no defense for it. <laughs> no, because he's been eviscerated. She's so right. Oh, man. When he's like, when he says at the end, like, man, I can't believe I'm not used to dealing with somebody who's equal or maybe a little bit better than me. And I'm like, <laughs> not maybe. And not <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Well, and it's it's so it's also a thing where he's doing this and uh, bitching and moaning and staying true to his art by having no success, and <laughs> her becoming successful is what makes her a sellout. You know, that, that's yeah. that's always the thing. Like, oh, you're selling out because you're more successful than me, and you're making a werewolf movie. Where's the art in that? <laughs> oh, she's making a werewolf movie, and uh, we see her trying on masks and stuff and we also meet the director of that movie ben who just seems like a real sweet dude he seems like a pretty good guy he has a, a lot of thoughts about his movies they're uh you know uh, they're they they have special meaning to him even if he's not going to be in your face about it in the movie to make it unwatchable which i think is the problem that uh, our, our other guy has that Ethan has. So I, I want to mention as well a correction from last week. Ty West, I think I said he directed Blair Witch. That's uh, another dude from VHS who's also friends with these guys, uh, Adam Wingard. Oh, okay. Who I think was the main director of VHS. But anyway, uh, Ty West, he did House of the Devil, Innkeepers. Did you ever see Innkeepers? Uh, no, I didn't. It was pretty fun. In the va- in a valley of violence is his spaghetti western, which was pretty cool. All right. And his his big ones right now, he did X and Pearl. Last couple of years, big slasher one. movies. They're huge. I haven't watched them yet, but they both came out last year. Oh, oh, X is one, and Pearl is another. It's not yes. called X and Pearl. No, no, X and Pearl. Uh, Pearl's a prequel to X. They both came out last year. Okay, I I don't know if I've heard of them or not. X is such a movie that it's like, I, yeah, have yeah. I heard of the movie called X? A uh, big time uh, recent horror film that uh, w- was like pretty critically acclaimed. I haven't gotten to see or gone around to seeing it yet, but I hear okay. it's really good. Cool. Cool. But yeah, that so that's Ty West. And he, I mean, he's never made a werewolf movie, but this sort of feels fairly Ty West adjacent. Yeah. So they're just they're talking about like the technicalities of the mask and just, you know, a little bit of day in the life of claire on the movie set yeah and we get a scene of them uh of claire and ethan in bed and ethan's like oh yeah so was the other actress like a diva was she jealous of you right he's he's being really shitty and he's trying to like he he wants her to dish on on how bad Hollywood is and how, and like, as if she's even Hollywood on an independent yeah. <laughs> horror picture, but you know, she's not making his homemade films. So she's, you know, uh, she's a Gisela. Oh, I bet the director was just like uh, trying to make out with you. And uh, was there a casting couch? Oh, God. Did, did you fail to mention that you had a boyfriend? <laughs> I bet he thinks I'm a laughing stock. Oh yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, you said, oh, my boyfriend also makes films. He's like, I bet he thought that was real funny. <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> you are projecting all of this. She's just literally sitting there listening to him make up all this nonsense. I don't think she's had a line of dialogue yet. <laughs> she's Nothing been real. In three scenes. Yeah, she's just like listening to him drone on about his bullshit. It's like, man, 
uh, we've seen that none of this is true. You're being a dick. Yeah, and she's like, eh, yeah, you came up. Oh, I came up, did I? Came I? Up. Yeah. Right, that's where he's like, oh, you're his boyfriend who makes movies. But he thought that's cute. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's their relationship. That's pretty much the whole thing in a nutshell right there. Yeah, he's instantly trying to sabotage the relationship because she's not going to be in his movie, so she can't be his girlfriend. He needs to recast his girlfriend. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, we have a scene of uh, Ben and Claire auditioning. Yes, it's going to be Claire's character's father. Something um, like that. Yeah, that, this, this is where Sam shows up briefly. Yeah, where Sam shows up, and it looks like he kills it but we don't see him again. Right. So I guess he is later cast in the movie as a father figure, which seems good. Yeah. 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 I've seen Fessenden and stuff. He's got a lot of charm. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I bet from just from like those two lines that the two line reads he did, I bet he'd be a good, I bet he's good. Mm-hmm. He is in bringing out the dead, the Nick Cage movie. Oh shit. He, he shows up in that. Cool. Um, I, I, and he's in the In a Valley of Violence, that Western, which we should totally watch sometime. Pretty rad. Man, I want to do a spaghetti Western again. Yeah, there's so much fun. Uh, I'm trying to find uh He's directed a bunch of horror movies that I, I've never seen any of them. I really got to check out some of his movies. He's got like Wendigo and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the one? He He was one of the guys in Session 9. Did you ever see that? Pretty Session cool horror nine. movie with... Um, uh, the, the shades from fucking CSI. Oh gosh, um, I'm thinking it. like District Nine. And oh yeah, no different, different. The, the parkour different. movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Session Nine was like the this uh, horror movie where it's this huge, uh, it, it's this giant abandoned mental institution that a bunch of dudes are there to clean up, like they're an a, a, asbestos crew. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Caruso, David Caruso. Fucking, yeah! Oh, that guy. Uh, <laughs> he's one of the dudes on the crew. Okay, cool. Uh, great movie. Uh, he, and yeah, he's just a cokehead in Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites is he's in the first uh, Kelly Reichardt movie, River of Grass. He's really fun. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, we don't get to see much of him in here, but nope. he's here. Yeah, it's just cool to see him. Yeah. Him just sort of putting a stamp of approval on the project. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we, a lot of this. So I realize now a lot of the purpose of a lot of these scenes is just to contrast her life on the set, which is like fun. She's learning things. She's making connections. And Everybody's her friendly. Everybody's welcoming. She's They, they yeah. want to teach her stuff. She's yeah. Like, yeah. They, they like her. They want to work with her. They want her to succeed. She is a collaborator there, whereas she yeah. is not a collaborator in her home. <laughs> yeah, like, because we keep cutting back to her house, and here we've got, like, she's folding laundry, and he's reading his fucking book. <laughs> New forms are what do we need, and without them, we're better off with nothing. And he, like, puts the book down and just thinks about what he read, and he, like, looks at her, he's, like, expecting a response. Yeah, it's it's him doing this thing where he's just so up his own ass. Everything is a speech. Everything is a theory. He, he doesn't have any off switch. 
You can't have fun. It doesn't seem like he's capable of enjoying things, uh, except when he's just sort of being bitter and self-sabotaging. Like it sort of seemed like he was having kind of nasty fun by imagining them laughing at him. Oh, he definitely, <laughs> he definitely was enjoying thinking of it. Like you could feel like the bitter smile in his voice yeah. when he was talking about it. Like, like there, they're laughing at me. It's it's there, and when he's staring at his own dailies of his film, uh, th- those are the only times where it seems like he is hooked into the world in any sort of way. Uh huh. And he's basically like he's telling Claire like, "Hey, our movie like we, it wasn't a new form." And she's like, "Look, <laughs> you gotta work with the tools you have and it's set not reasonable turn expectations." Out. Movies have been around for over a hundred years. Uh, you you kind of need to realize that you're not going to be reinventing the wheel every time. Yeah, he's like, I can't accept that. <laughs> Man, chill out. Good lord. Yeah, she's like, it's like that with everything. It's never going to turn out exactly the way you have it in your head. It doesn't mean you did a bad job. Like, this is a dude, I mean, it's 2011, but this is a dude who's never been on, like, a leaderboard on a, a fucking video game. You know, it's <laughs> he's, he's too pr- prior to that era where everybody is going to be fully aware of their ranking in society because... Uh, all of social media and everything that we enjoy is designed to rank us against the entire world. <laughs> Can you imagine his Twitter account? Oh, it would be so insufferable. <laughs> uh, he, he'd be one of the guys uh, riding Musk's coattails. He, I, I, I don't know exactly. He, I, I feel like, uh, sadly, maybe more of a Tate guy. Oh my god, you're right. He's, he's someone who seems to need a guiding hand. And he, yeah. he really wants to control women, but he just doesn't have any idea how to do that. Uh-huh. So he and, tries to control them with art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he goes back into like his whole thing. is like, well, you're just making... It's not a... I didn't make a new form, but you're just making a werewolf movie. So like people go in, they get scared, and then they get happy and leave, right? He's like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Is that not good? And she's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's filmmaking. That's really kind of the art of it. You you make something that people are going to enjoy and you sort of feel good about making yeah. a thing that people enjoy. What, yeah. what is it? It's like he the, the idea of people liking his work is offensive to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, he's never going to have to worry about that. <laughs> Which, uh, maybe he's more of a Michael Haneke type. <laughs> you for unanimous. How Everybody you like hated this? my work. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah he, he, he aspires to be a Joy D'Amato. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, and we see a scene of him watching production footage of him shooting a shower scene with Claire. Right. So some of his uh, his existing footage from the prior film. It's before he's uh, recast. Yeah. So what I think it's interesting is when he's looking at like the footage of the past, he's not looking at what he makes. He's looking at the making of what he made. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's it's self-obsession. He is looking at his own work over and over and over again. He because he's not interested in movies. He's not watching yeah. anyone else's work. He's certainly not paying tribute to anyone else. Oh God, no. <laughs> Whereas obviously, when we get to see when we're we're hearing Ben talk about his influence, he's like, yeah, I take influence from this. I like this. It's we got kind of a classic Universal Monsters thing going on. Like mm-hmm. he he's working in cinema. Uh, whereas it, it feels like Ethan is working against cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God. You know who he reminds me of is me when I first tried my hand at directing and I just thought I knew all the answers, even though I didn't know shit about shit. I, I directed a school play once. It was ah. It nobody. I bet nobody who was in it will talk about it. <laughs> I starred in a school play once, but no, I, I, I never directed. Uh, I, I've, yeah, yeah, it never actually got shown anywhere. <laughs> That's good. That is good. That's <laughs> real good. It was, oh, yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, time to meet Claire's friend Charlie. She's cool, I think. Yeah, I like her. Amy Simetz seems pretty cool in it. Uh, it's, She's doing this. I I hated them the first time I was watching. I absolutely hated the first time she appeared because I hated the voice she was doing. She was, she was, she's when she first appears, she's in their kitchen talking to the two of them, and she's putting oh, yeah, on she's... an irritating guy voice of this guy who is making this long pretentious bullshit speech to her. Yeah, I thought that was the voice she was going to use. I'm like, oh my god, please stop it. <laughs> and she finally breaks like and laughs at what Ben's like, oh, please stop it. Yeah, yeah. Um, she She's saying to Claire, like, you should go to LA because everyone who works in the film industry needs to go to Hollywood and lose hope. Right. It's better for your soul to not have hope. Sounds like an Ethan kind of uh, idea, which I, I think is exactly why he latches onto her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get a scene of Claire and Ben uh, in a hotel room, like practicing, kind of practicing a sex scene with pillows. And, <laughs> and he talks Weird. about how how like, awful ADR is for sex scenes. Yeah, that would be <laughs> truly horrendous. Yeah. Yep. Just like, stuck just... in a room making moaning sounds over and over and trying to sync them to movement. That would be hell. I would hate that. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, and he, he that's what he says is like, yeah, that it really sucks. Yeah. We don't want to we don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, he mentions that uh this is where he mentions like, yeah, I've got my own reasons for doing this, my own things that I want to get out there. I'm never going to tell anyone what they are, but they're in the movie. Yeah, he has his themes. Thing, the, this, this is something that uh, matters to him. It's just he is not making it entirely about him, whereas <laughs> Ethan is. Uh, ben is a collaborator. Ethan is a dictator. Yeah, and... Uh... And here's where we get the conversation between Ethan and Claire about uh, wanting Charlie to be in the movie. Right. This is this is a great scene, actually. I really like she, this. She fucking eviscerates him. She is so completely correct, and he has absolutely no defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she basically outlines it like, okay, so you met her for three hours, and you just decided that you want her to star in your movie. 
as your girlfriend. And the super ultra important, the most important thing in the world, even though it's my best friend and it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I thought you'd just be cool with it, you know? Well, he, I, I, I do think he is disingenuous in that he, he completely understands why she's uh-huh. mad and he is aware of that much, but he's trying to, he's, he's very sheepish about it. He's like, yeah, well, I, I just thought she'd be perfect for my movie. And since you're not available, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, fuck you. But she is completely like, you're casting her as your girlfriend, which yeah. is your girlfriend in reality because it's your girlfriend in the movie because it's the same thing. There, yeah, there is like no this... difference between the two. Yeah, because I mean, like, it might as well just be the story of his life. Yeah. Because <laughs> the story of his life is what's going to change the world. Oh, absolutely. Because he's just <laughs> such a fucking intellectual. And he he has absolutely no defense. He's no. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... She, he does cast her, ultimately. Yeah, he anyway. does cast her. And she, yeah, and she says, like, hey, it, but if you. If you do this, or if you want to do this, and I say no, that makes me the bad guy. Right. So she just, she doesn't say no, but she doesn't, she doesn't say go for it either. So he goes for it. Of course, he casts her. Yeah, this scene is notable to me because, like, there's, after she delivers basically her finishing blow, which is like, it's so gotta be her that you don't care that you're making me uncomfortable. And then it just pauses for, like, several minutes and makes this intense music while he just goes completely silent right there's so the orange mighty trio and you you get the strings going and you get that a few times in the movie in all, all of the more emotionally intense sequences or when you're establishing the hell out of that gun <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah this is the first time it happens and it's really really pointed mm-hmm. so we have Ethan meeting up with Charlie and here's where he's like drunkenly saying movies don't matter to me man they don't make me happy I don't care but I do it because I don't know how to do anything else so the question is is this a scene between him and Charlie or is this a scene in his movie does it does it even matter hmm, I feel like it's a scene of them talking not in his movie uh, because of her reaction yeah, she I do just think goes, it's real. Yeah, I see what you mean. And yeah, she's just like stunned by basically all of his avalanche of word bullshit. Well, he he's just completely self-loathing. There, there's uh, he he's he's so in front of himself with everything that happens because he just hates everything he does. Hmm. Uh, meanwhile, working on the werewolf movie, they pick up a gun at the gun store. That's not important, but what's important is the gun is on the mantelpiece. Right. They they, they have there. we we have a very long scene of her choosing a gun. You have your prop gun guy who's uh, giving her all his gun advice, and she's like, oh, yeah. "Okay, great." And <laughs> now, back then, they wouldn't have used a sawed-off uh, barrel because that's only criminals did that. Yeah, they invented that later. Well, and then you know they they decided to sell it that way because people were doing it. You know they they saw a place in the business. Anyway, yeah, it, it, we we have this long scene of that, and then we cut to her putting the gun in 
a very ornate box in front of a mirror with, again, just the music going totally nuts. And it's a very long scene of them looking at the gun there. And, you know, they start making out and playing with the gun. Yep. Like pointing the gun at the mirror, at each other, at themselves. And the movie actually got me the first time because there's a bit where uh, Ethan points the gun at his forehead and pulls the trigger and it transitions to a camera flash. Mm hmm. And I was like, oh, you got me. I thought that maybe. Yeah, so they're doing a photo shoot. Um, with, for the werewolf uh, movie. Yeah, for the werewolf movie with Ben and Claire. It's a good photo shoot. Very successful. It looks good. But but uh, yeah, this will come back later on uh, with Ethan when he's going to look at these photos. Yeah, so they, they're taking a bunch of photos in the forest uh, with uh, just stuff for the, the wolf. Like I, I guess some production stills. Uh, yeah. Kind of looks like the the same source as maybe the opening credit image, kind of similar yeah. to that. Yeah, probably. So we go back and forth uh, between Ethan's movie and uh, and filming Ben's movie because uh, Ethan is getting right to work filming with Charlie. It's funny the way that it's contrasted because it it looks like they're having sex it, it looks like they're just having an affair but then you see him making this the movie and you see him filming it and re-watching all of the stuff of them making out and having sex whereas the other two just seem like they're talking and getting along but they are slowly moving towards being an actual couple whereas i don't feel like that's necessarily happening with ethan it doesn't seem like ethan and charlie are starting any sort of relationship it just seems like ethan is completely self-obsessed and unable to go anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I especially think that they're not going to start a relationship because there's a scene after they shoot the makeout scene so many times, they're watching it and Charlie's like, hey, I don't really like watching myself. And Ethan's like, oh, do you not want to do this then? And she's like, I guess it's kind of important for the work though. <laughs> yeah just like red flag red flag well yeah she she just he wants to make this relationship it's it's pretty transparent but she is not interested mm-hmm. whereas ben and claire are they're filming in the woods and then they're spending the night at uh, ben's parents house and it's like eh, is it kind of weird that you're at my parents house uh, yeah a little bit and she he's well, showing her his like original the uh, early student films and stuff and i'm gonna and i'm just i'm gonna keep talking and i'm not gonna stop because i don't want you to realize how bad this is yeah and it's it's also he's he's sort of nervous because he realizes the sort of weird situation they're in in terms of like it's the two of us on a bed in like his parents basement and just mm. like this this whole thing and they do kiss they do but then he's they, they, he stops it. He's like, wait, no, no. Okay, I, I gotta go. Yeah. He puts well, the wolf head on her and leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe she stops it. It looks like she's the one who pulled away from the kiss, and then he's the one who's like, okay, I gotta go. Um, yeah, yeah. Everything you need. They, yeah. It's a bit of both. Yeah. We're like, um, hang on. Maybe this is not. weird. Is this, are, 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 are we doing this? And they're not yet. They're not yet, no. Uh, in fact, the next scene is them having a scene in the car. Like, okay, so about last night, hey. Right. Like I mentioned earlier, he's like, yeah. it, it, no 
and not going to affect anything in the production. We'll figure it out as we figure it out. We'll be reasonable people about this. Mm-hmm. And then I think is the scene or shortly after this is the scene that I talked about. That's sort of my favorite bit where she's dancing. Uh, that's, I think that's coming up a little bit later still. Okay. Oh, well, maybe not. There's more. No, I think it's just more back and forth with the experience of the two different films being made. Yeah. Which, um, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. More of that. Uh, we do get, we do get a reporter interviewing Ben about his movie and he said, and like the, Porter says to him, why make horror if you're not going to get to the gore right away? And he's like, well, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm not all about the violence and gore. Um, But there will be blood. Yes. Yes, there will be blood. The reporter's like, is there going to be violence and gore in the movie Silver Bullets? And he's like, oh, I don't want to spoil it. But, you know, when we get there and then he starts, he keeps talking, but his voice just fades out and music plays over it. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was great. I was like, are we going to get a killing? Although not really, not really, but like it's setting it up because you have this, you have the Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Like you're, you're very, it's, they're very heavily establishing that uh, not everyone is going to get out of this most likely, but mm. it's sort of an epilogue thing. Yeah, kind of. Uh, oh, it is here actually that the great the the great werewolf seduction scene. This is the best point part of the film, no question. She puts on a record, and she's. I, I had misremembered it on rewatching it. I guess it's not really the wolf costume. I think she's just wearing nylons, but she is putting on the wolf head. Yeah, and, and she's topless. And she's topless. She's playing like a, an exotica record, and just dancing around the room and trying to get Ethan's attention. Ethan is reading his book again, the same book from does, before, I think. Yeah. Does not look up. Doesn't he refuses to. Well, I think he's, I think he is pointedly ignoring her and she is uh, trying to get his attention. She like starts uh, getting on top of him. She starts pulling the book yeah, away. He, he starts fighting her. her. Yeah. He's yeah. shoving her away. Like, fuck off. I'm reading basically. And, and but she, he, she pulls him off of the couch onto the floor and is yeah. just like riding him. <laughs> yeah, she she throws the book away. And this yeah. is like a five minute sequence as she like slowly dances closer to him. And she pulls him down onto the floor and it looks like she's biting him. Yeah, I think she is biting him. Yeah, I mean, that didn't even occur to me until later, but it's like, oh yeah, hickeys, that's a thing. I know yeah. about sex. I know. Yeah, I, I believe she is is biting him. Yeah, yeah. He's like I, I don't know if he is into this or not, but it doesn't matter because this is sort of like their relationship is at, at an end. That he is yeah. so detached well, he doesn't from it. React like he's motionless on the floor while she's doing this. Yeah. So the next scene, this is where I thought that an actual murder was happening because because we see like you know a murder happening in a movie, right? Uh, I, I, I want to say this is Ethan's old film because it's uh, it's Claire doing the murder. And I thought the girl who was being murdered was Charlie. Well, then it wouldn't be the, the which old film because because she's not in it. I, I think it might just be sort of a dream sequence or something. Yeah. But it, it could also be something more related to the werewolf movie because she'd probably be killing people in that. She's supposed yeah. to be. But she looks like a stuff. ghoul, though, in this one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I, Ethan certainly wouldn't be dressing her up as a ghoul either. That's true. <laughs> it, it seems kind of maybe like a nightmare inspired by 
making a horror film and involved with just this weird relationship bullshit. Yeah, so, but it ends ultimately with her coming out of the shower and right uh, right into Ben's hotel room and starts making out with him. Right, so here they, they fully uh, become a couple and it, it does sort of seem like a direct reaction to the previous scene where she is just trying to get his attention in any way and he is completely resistant and totally disinterested in her. Yeah, yeah. Now that she is not his actress, uh, she it just doesn't exist for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got to focus on the the pieces that I can control. Yeah. So then we have the epilogue two years later, and um, they they get together to talk once more. And uh, yeah, maybe it doesn't go so great. It kind of doesn't seem like it. He he. It's weird. He has become slightly more self-reflective, but he doesn't get it. He still doesn't yeah. get it. Yeah, he, he's basically saying, yeah, well, like, my thing... Well, she says, like, hey, it was pretty even. We actually both fucked each other up pretty bad. Yeah, it, it was a bad relationship at the end. Everything just went wrong. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't matter now. And he's like, well, what about the movies? Don't don't the movies <laughs> matter? Yeah, he's like, I guess, sure, why not? He's like, yeah. I guess they don't. yeah he's like i'm not used to dealing with people who are like equal or even maybe a little bit better than me and she's like well you sure made me feel like i'm worse he's like i don't accept responsibility for that (laughs) yeah he doesn't really accept responsibility for anything and no uh, you know she is still trying to placate him and she does say like well i i think the the movies mattered yeah i do and it just sort of ends with them there and then I think he shoots himself in the head. It's not yeah. clear because they show him with the gun and they show him putting it to his head, but then yeah, he loads cuts the bullet, away. But yeah, yeah, it cuts away uh, to her. To her crying, but not crying. But not crying. Fake She's putting on crying. crying makeup. Movie crying. And that's what we watch through the, the credits is just her looking into the camera and the tears rolling down her face. Mm-hmm. But blankly. Uh, yeah. which is sort of an interesting and chilling image and, and sort of like I on first watch it's part of what I didn't like about the movie is like it is it's supposed to be this sort of thing where she's crying crocodile tears for this guy and it, it I, I almost felt like it's trying to demonize her but it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie like that just doesn't make sense no I so. think yeah. I, I think it's just she she just has to put on a face to grieve for this person who she doesn't really have any feelings at all for anymore. That's probably what it is. It's kind of maybe more where it's at, but uh, it, it is a very striking conclusion of her just staring into the film with her the tears rolling down her face. And again, just the string trio. Pretty cool. I love the bit at the end, like what he's talking is like, did it matter? Did did our work matter? And like at first, she's just like, "What are you even talking about?" Before like, yeah, she finally I, is like, "Oh, sure, sure. it does." Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Well, I I don't think she's uh, placating him in that respect. I think she does think it matters because I think she actually cares about film as art oh, yeah. as uh, a a thing, but he doesn't. So it doesn't <laughs> matter to him. It, it's just uh, total bullshit to him. Yeah, so because this relationship didn't go good, I guess movies don't matter anymore. Yeah. It's, and it's like the relationship shouldn't have anything to do with movies. 
but the relationship is part of the movie and the the movie is the relationship like he he just he doesn't have any sort of real way to uh communicate no. he, he's totally shut off and mm-hmm. he can't really communicate through art yeah he hates it <laughs> <laughs> and and it shows like we kind of glazed over it but man the scenes where he's filming his makeout film it's not good no, he doesn't look at all happy doing it. It obviously doesn't make him happy. It's just this weird controlling impulsive thing. Yeah. Compulsive thing, rather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Com- yeah. yeah. It's a very interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I st- still don't know if I like it. I mean, there's there's definitely bits that I like. Uh, the, the werewolf seduction uh, ig- ignoring scene is awesome. <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's easily my high point of the movie, too, just because it's very striking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I did like it a lot more on a second watch. I think it's got a lot of visual flair. I, I like viewing it more in the style of a late period silent film where you're sort of just looking at these fixed images that are very well strikingly composed. Like there, there's that thing with the lamp in the corner in that one scene mm-hmm. that sort of occupies most of the frame and you just got people around it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I liked it, but I don't know how much I liked it. I don't know if, hmm. I don't know if I want to get into the other ones or not. Yeah. I mean, it's a trilogy. It is a trilogy, but I don't think they're uh, all that, closely related i I think there may be more of a thematic trilogy although i don't know i haven't seen them yet oh yeah like the simon Pegg trilogy isn't trilogy at all yeah the cornetto trilogy uh so do you have any last thoughts on silver bullets before we move on to part three maybe it didn't even matter maybe not and we're back for part three where we're talking about the other physical media we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. All right. Oh, there's some good stuff on here. Yeah. So first off, I've been on a big Buster Keaton kick. I mentioned this earlier in the cast. So you've, have you ever seen any of Buster Keaton's full-length movies? Obviously, uh, we watched a, about half of the Keaton Arbuckle shorts together on the weekend. Um, I feel like I've seen something of his a long time ago, but I don't okay. know what. Uh, yeah. This was definitely my first time seeing Fatty Arbuckle, though. Oh my god, he is funny. He's pretty good. I mean, you, you see why he was a star, too. Oh, man. Not just that he was a star, but like you see where so many things get inspiration from. From Bugs Bunny to, to Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, obviously Buster and, Keaton uh, oh, yeah, creates yeah. Mickey Mouse. Uh, Mickey yep. Mouse is directly named after, or the the first Mickey Mouse short is named after a Buster Keaton movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steamboat Willie, you know, Steamboat yeah. Bill Jr. Oh yeah, we didn't get to that one. No, I'm not there yet. Oh well, we'll get there. I'm I'm, I'm watching them. Uh, Steamboat okay. Bill Jr. Yeah, is one of his features. Oh oh okay, that wasn't a, that wasn't a no. short. No, no. Uh, okay. Uh, he, he most like uh, his career largely predates disney and looney tunes and stuff they they come out of him they oh. come out of him and chaplin they're, they're sort of like the main sources of a lot of that stuff and that's sort of one of the really interesting things going back to these is that they're uh so primordial in terms of all modern comedy uh all film comedy it kind of emanates out of them uh their their style you you see so many of these things done over and over mm-hmm. and over again 
Well, I mean, <laughs> Fatty Arbuckle basically invents the WWE the way he's throwing people oh, around. Man. Yeah, the, the guy is a beast. He's like a fucking bear. He can just pick someone. I, I, I've watched all of the uh, Keaton Arbuckle shirts. That is one of the options. Uh, I have the Butcher Boy standing in there for uh, the the set of it's it's all. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen shorts that the two of them did together. A lot of them also with Al St. John who is a man with one facial expression, but it's a real doozy of one. Uh, the Grinch smiled his awfulest, evilest grin. <laughs> uh, him every time anything happens, just the, the biggest, <laughs> biggest reaction. Uh, the, the the shorts are quite a bit of fun, but uh, obviously much more rudimentary. Uh, they, they do build up as they go along. Like you didn't see Moonshine, which is an odd one where... Uh, they're constantly self-referential which oh, is okay. you know interesting for like 1918 i guess <laughs> yeah like i bet the, that wasn't a thing yeah the the intertitles you know it's it's only a two-reeler so it, it, but they're trying to do a full sort of moonshine against the revenuers plot but you know compressed into 20 minutes so they're like uh so here is uh al saint john playing the role of and then they're always referring to it as being within the movie and you know they they have this really weird romance scene it's like that's kind of a strange romance and this is like we don't have time for the typical romance this is only a two-reeler <laughs> that kind of stuff okay. it's sort of fun <laughs> and they, they you know they have a trap door and uh, you know it cuts to the intertitle like the idea of the director <laughs> it's kind of fun uh and and the last one the garage it has a pretty big special effects thing where they burn down a garage and there's a dude trapped in it and oh. they use uh orange tints and everything to have like the blaze of the fire really come out and it's obviously they actually set the whole place on fire you get to have buster and fatty uh doing some fireman stuff which is kind of cool <laughs> i love uh i love old-timey cartoon fireman stuff yeah, and I mean these. This is the they're the originators. Them and the Keystone Cops, of course, <laughs> over at uh, the the other studio. Uh, so his first two features I watched. Uh, first of them, Three Ages, which is like a spoof movie. Okay, <laughs> it's a parody of D.W. Griffith's Intolerance, or uh, <laughs> uh, I I can't remember. Love's struggle through the ages. Or something is the subtitle of that one. Intolerance is uh it's like seven hours long. <laughs> it's <laughs> this huge, vast, ridiculous epic that's different eras of time showing uh different types of intolerance. And it's the the most ridiculous movie because it's D.W. Griffith feeling oh, everybody's intolerant to me because they didn't like my racist movie because he made Birth <laughs> of a Nation before right. that. And was like, people are being intolerant to me. Uh, so he made that. Uh, so Three Ages is kind of a parody of it. It is uh, three different eras where we see Buster Keaton uh, doing sort of rudimentary romance storylines so it's him as a caveman it's him in greek or roman times and there's him in the present day okay so the stone age you got some fun stuff you got like an, a huge amazonian cave lady whomping him off a cliff because he tries to pick her up by the hair <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got him riding a dinosaur which was pretty funny it's gertie the dinosaur from like the first animated feature ever 
Nice. Uh, it's got a lot of reference humor in it, uh, which is weird. Uh, in in Roman times, he does Greco-Roman platonic wrestling with the lady he's into. Uh, he, he He's in a chariot race, but he has a dog sled. And then one of the dogs gets too tired, so he uh, has to switch it out with a spare dog that he keeps in a box on the back. That was that's a fucking great gag. <laughs> and it, like the, the modern sequence is the one that has the two most famous bits, which I sent both clips to you oh where the the car just explodes the car completely disintegrates when it hits some dirt in the road which is <laughs> for me the biggest laugh in the movie that was fucking incredible <laughs> and and the part where he missed where he he didn't make the jump <laughs> oh yeah because <laughs> you know the, that's like the, the thing homer is, simpson thing <laughs> right but the thing is he was supposed to make the jump the stunt was oh. him making the jump he so didn't that was the jump. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so they're like, he's he's in the hospital the next day, and they're like, okay, but the footage is incredible, dude. <laughs> Keep rolling. We're not gonna do this again. He's like, so they they built in a whole different set of gags with him falling all the way through the building. Oh my god, that's awesome. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it rules. And that's his first feature. So, I mean, you know, it's it's not perfect. It's definitely a little bit more up and down. It's clearly a bunch of gags in a row rather than a cohesive storyline. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of great shit in there. There's legendary stuff in there. Ooh, I also noticed that it's 100 years old. It's came out in 1923. That's right. Uh, and also our hospitality. Uh, our being southern hospitality but it's also sort of so this it's him doing the hatfield mccoys oh okay except they're the canfield mckays right (laughs) and he's just this uh new jersey fop (laughs) he's he's off in the big city not in the ozark mountains where this blood feud has been raging because his father sent him or his mother uh, sort of spirited him away in the night so he wouldn't grow up in this blood feud. Right. And then the dad dies, so he inherits the ancestral home, so he goes home to take it. Uh, and oh. much of the movie is him going on this crazy train trip there on, like, a toy train. It's like, <laughs> you know, like a wagon train, right? Yeah. This is like a wagon locomotive. It's on tracks, but it's like a, there's a locomotive at the front, but it's a bunch of toy wagons that they're riding in like <laughs> stagecoach wagons <laughs> just imagine it all i want to do is boom 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 and a ching ching take your money it's it's really strange because it's like it, it feels like something out of a cartoon all of it feels like the the tenor of a cartoon because it's got like a wavy track it goes up and down it's pretty silly <laughs> uh there's a guy on the back with a big silly beard and a horn who like calls out if there are issues. <laughs> uh, uh, there, there's a point where there's a donkey on the track, so they just stop the train and they move the tracks around the donkey and <laughs> just keep going. Uh, I'm imagining <laughs> all of this right now, and it's... It's good, it's good. <laughs> he, he, he's supposed to leave his dog behind uh, in with, with like someone else in New Jersey, but it starts running after the train, but the train's not going fast enough, so it's running under the train, and then it just leaves, and it, it's waiting for him when he gets there. 
was fun. Uh, <laughs> so like the, the our hospitality part comes in because he gets there and the first person he runs into is one of the guys in the family with the blood feud and he introduces himself and the guy is like showing her around town and every door he stops in, he like deeks in and asks them if they have a pistol he can borrow. <laughs> like nobody has one so he just goes back out and just continues he puts his arm back around him they walk friendly and he's uh, telling him about the town and then you know next door have you got a pistol i can borrow <laughs> <laughs> but he ends up going to their house where our hospitality is like literally spoke or not literally spoken the guy says it but it's an intertitle obviously yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is 1923 uh, <laughs> and he said, like, well, our hospitality, we won't kill him in the house, but as soon as he leaves. <laughs> so he just refuses to leave the house. He's using all these pretexts to keep staying in the house. And he <laughs> starts romancing the daughter because he was traveling with the daughter on the train the whole way. And they sort of had a romance. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's them trying to kill him. And then, you know, the whole crazy adventure set piece at the end with a waterfall and a log going over it and him doing like a Tarzan swing and shit. That's good stuff. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Next up, we've got Bullets Over Summer. Uh, this is uh, the follow-up uh, film, say, same director as Biozombie, the next oh, movie cool. he made. It's, uh, again, about two kind of misfit dudes working a job. This time, they're cops. Uh, <laughs> you certainly wanna, wouldn't want to have the previous two guys as cops. These guys aren't a whole lot better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, one of them is secretly dying, uh, and he's just really weird about it. He And they move in, they sort of just invade this old lady's apartment because they want to surveil this guy who is, like, a really scary, deranged maniac who gunned down a whole bunch of people in the opening. They're like, the first ten minutes are incredibly bloody, because like you see them and their sort of loose cannon ways where they uh, do sort of a lethal weapon kind of gag uh where one of them's involved in the is is like being held up in a convenience store and the other guy comes in and they sort of do sort of a bit to uh get the guys distracted and then shoot the all of them of course of course <laughs> and then as well you see our bad guy uh, doing a robbery and as they're coming out they pass through a wedding and they kill everyone <laughs> people getting gunned down uh and then yeah the, it sort of becomes this really low-key light comedy where they're living in this old lady's apartment and she has senile dementia and thinks her they're her grandsons oh, fuck. <laughs> and they keep telling telling her that they're not but she just kind of assumes she she seems to have a selective memory and yeah. uh, one of the guys starts romancing this local girl and uh yeah it just becomes this weird sort of slice of life thing where they're living there for a while but still surveilling this extremely dangerous guy and then of course at the end it goes all fucking crazy sideways again and that's the that's the bio zombie guy so how yeah. much does it feel like bio zombie there's certainly a similar flavor. I mean, it's a cop movie, so it kind of is a little bit more grounded. Mm. Uh, there, there's nothing really reality bending about it, and you don't have like a video game sequence where you have the. It, it doesn't right. ever kind of chip out of reality. It's always pretty consistent, but it does have that sort of intensity, and it does have 
like these are guys who should not be cops. It's <laughs> 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 like these these are people who should not be cops, but also everybody is kind of a crazy asshole, and maybe just uh, this is they're a symptom of the society. Okay, so so yeah, kind of a lot like Biozombie in that regard. Yeah, not not in, not unlike it. Uh, I, I, it's sort of a different flavor, but I mean, it, you you see sort of a similar directorial sensibility. Okay, cool. Next up, we got Halloween Ends. <laughs> now, is Corey this... the movie. <laughs> I was gonna say, is this the second one or third one of the new Michael Myers's? This is the third one because it ends. You know, oh, okay. Uh, right the second one is kills I, yeah. why did i think it was dies uh i don't know i mean it, it, it kind of they, that sort of would fit too if it were dies that, that would kind of make more sense almost but ends yeah, yeah they keep chanting whew. evil dies tonight right that's true uh this is a, i i will say non-spoilery exactly but it is one of the most conclusive finales to a slasher movie that i've ever seen in a really kind of hilarious way oh really uh, so it's there's it's all it's it's a halloween three so they're they're fucking pulling the rug out and michael myers is mostly not in this okay okay <laughs> you, you also got jamie lee curtis but she's mostly not in this she and <laughs> when she is she's just trying to get her life back together and she's just not interested in any of this bullshit uh okay but her her granddaughter is dating this guy who is this this dude Corey. so Corey is our new villain okay <laughs> we we start with Corey on halloween i i don't know if it's the same night it's it's you know it's some halloween period time right 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 sometime in the past and he's like babysitting this fucking awful kid who's terrorizing him right. and he accidentally kicks open a door and or well, like he's trying to kick open a door because the kid has locked him in a closet and shut out the lights and he thinks he's maybe being terrorized by Michael Myers because, you know, the kid has been saying, hey, Michael Myers only kills babysitters, you moron. <laughs> that's Well, that's not true. I mean, we saw in the last one, Michael Myers yeah. kills everyone. Yeah. Michael Myers will just cut a bloody swath through society. But, uh, you know, it's it's the the stereotype already. They're, they're yeah. working. It, it's sort of an interesting movie about uh, the the idea of Michael Myers instead of as a physical being as the receptacle of all of the evil impulses of a small town, okay. uh, and it, it, he's just sort of this massive bad juju. It's it's sort of a tulpa thing, and the thing is, Corey it gets transferred to him more or less because he becomes the new pariah. He kicks open this door, and the kid is on the other side. It hits him in the head, and he goes over the banister and falls to his death okay <laughs> so he he accidentally kills the kid he's babysitting he gets branded the killer babysitter he just becomes this total social pariah and now he's sort of the new michael myers he's the scary guy at halloween he's he's the one everybody's afraid of so i'm imagining um cory feldman right now <laughs> he's uh he our, our guy does not have a lot of charisma okay okay, <laughs> okay. He's, he's not he's He's kind of lame. Uh, he he's just this boring guy. He's he's really lame, and it ruins his life. Obviously, oh, well, yeah. yeah. You know, he was he was about to be headed to engineering school, but now he's just working in a garage with his dad, and he's uh, pretty sad about how his life's turned out, and he's pretty angry about things. And it's sort of also about the psychology of a mass killer. Okay, and just how that sort of can slowly develop out of things, and 
it, it's it's really interesting. It's uh, totally a huge swerve. It's very little Michael Myers. There's this thing where Michael is living in a cave in the park, protected by this homeless man, and uh, he he maybe feeds him people once in a while to <laughs> kind of keep his uh, evil alive. <laughs> <laughs> obviously he meets up with Corey, and they do sort of a transfer of energy and Corey's out there sort of being the new michael for a bit and it's it's a really it's a huge swing it's very very different wow uh, but honestly i dug it <laughs> I, I i liked it better than kills okay i liked kills quite a bit if i recall my problem was mostly just all the evil dies tonight shit, which yeah. is like I'm I, I get it I get it enough already. Well, yeah, but yeah, this one's interesting. I I think there, it's got a lot of ideas, yeah. and it's it's sort of an interesting conceptual take on Michael. And like I say, the ending is hilariously conclusive in a way that I kind of dug. <laughs> Next up, we've got Mercenary Fighters. Ooh, a very memorable title. <laughs> it's about these mercenary fighters you know oh, yeah. uh they're they're there's it's this bunch of dudes they're led by peter fonda who really doesn't look like he wants to be there he's <laughs> not into it at all uh there's also jim mitchum who is oh, he is out of his mind <laughs> and red brown is sort of our main character uh he's our guy <laughs> he, he screams and shoots uh you know space mutiny dude game over man he's much more he's the more ridiculous version of that oh. he's big mclarge huge right oh, okay okay uh so he's the one I, I i wrote in my review that like the rest of them are attack dogs and he's a golden retriever they <laughs> he's on this team of mercenary fighters but his loyalties are so mixed he really wants to be friends with everyone <laughs> <laughs> Like they, they they go in and they're like mowing down a village. They're killing all these people because they're they're hired by a government. And this is sort of big on them. They they get to be fighting on the side of the government instead of on the side of uh, some counter revolutionary or whatever. Where uh, they're they're outside the law because it's much more dangerous for them that way. Uh-huh. And uh, you know he they're they're just gunning down innocent people, and he's he sort of is the only one who feels bad about it and sort of realizes and is holding back. Except the thing is, he keeps killing them. Like he's, it's not like he's stopping going on missions. He's not. He's still going on all of these <laughs> missions. He's still essentially being part of the, the the group and killing people and stuff. It's just occasionally he kind of looks like he feels bad about it. And he's like, huh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really wish I didn't have to kill all these people. Blam! But I do. Blam! It's, it's it's beyond absurd because uh, you know there there's this stuff where he's supposed to kill people and he, he he's killing all these people and he, and he meets some some dude who um he and he kind of feels bad about it and then you know he continues doing it for a while and then he meets this lady who he's really into and she makes him feel bad about it <laughs> and he's continuing doing it for a while and then you know he meets up with the lady again, and she takes him to meet a rebel leader, and they kind of hit it off, and they see eye to eye, and he realizes that you know the rebels are good people too. And then you know he's killing them again for a while. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's really bizarre, quite honestly. Uh, you know, ultimately, of course, he he turns over to their side. You know, that's, that's sort of where it's heading, but it Is takes a really long time left? for him to get there. 
uh yeah <laughs> it's it's a whole thing it's weird it's heavily plotty there's so many characters it's just red brown is the only one that kind of matters okay <laughs> next up we've got unconde or the cop Ooh, sinister so this is a a uh french movie sort of a neo-noir kind of thing uh there's this cop and uh he and his partner they're out on a call they're chasing these guys on a rooftop one of the guys turns and shoots and he kills his partner (gasps) so my man is just out for revenge and he just goes fucking rogue he's torturing people he's killing people he's framing people for murder so that he can leverage it into getting more information on them so that he can track down the guy who killed his partner Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a loose he cannon. Goes, he is the loosest cannon. <laughs> he goes out of his fucking mind. <laughs> uh, it's it's bleak. It's very dark. Uh, he just... Uh, the, the system is obviously protecting him, even to a point where he kind of doesn't want to be protected anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting. Next up, we've got The Sexorcist's Devil. <laughs> you showed me a clip of this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 Bloodshack, but porno. It really kind of <laughs> is. You, you, you have Carolyn Brandt doing her rambling monologues. Uh, After there's... my several unhappy marriages and the incident with the chooper on my property, I went to see the ex- the sorry the sexorcist and something yeah, else he, he, he's a sexorcist and a demonologist that's what it was demonologist uh it, it's it's a strange one uh again it's it's mostly porn there's a whole <laughs> lot of sex it, it just goes on and on and on and on uh but it, it does feel blood shacky uh it, it's it's like it's the exorcist too i mean obviously it is heavily influenced by the exorcist there's this lady who uh becomes possessed by a sex demon but it's weird because it's mostly just there's this dude who shows up and he's a demon and then they have sex and they have just so much sex Uh, mostly it's 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 mostly blowjobs because it's sort of a deep throat parody too okay he's just like you know, it's 1974. He's smashing together the two most popular movies, the two big flash movies from fringe genres. Exorcist was huge. Deep Throat was fucking huge. Like, let's do both of them. Let's sure. do them in the blood shack. Uh, I mean, uh, there was a whole market of people making movies like that parodies in the 90s. Yeah. It's it's not far off. But yeah, she, I mean, she she's a sex worker, and before she's really into her pimp, but now she's into this demon. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the sexorcist tries to sexercise her, oh. obviously. Oh, as, as you would do. <laughs> it's in your name. What else? Next up, we got Bloodstream, which is the next Michael J. Murphy picture uh, from his uh, Magic Myth and Mutilation box. Uh, This is the one that I was telling you about where it seems like maybe a self-insert fantasy, maybe not so much, but it's it's about this filmmaker who makes low-budget, crappy, direct-to-video, independent films, horror stuff. Right. He's really passionate about it, matters to him, but he gets screwed by this distributor, and this distributor 
uh, throws away his contract and says, uh, you know, your, your film's garbage and I hate you and <laughs> all this shit. And uh, the guy, I think, is actually, he has the same name as, I think, his actual producer of the previous movies. <laughs> and he might just literally be that guy. Oh, like, he's just named after him because uh, he's named William King. And they show the William King Productions logo with the fire in the background. It's like, I'm pretty sure that was what was actually at the end of the previous movie. Oh boy. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I didn't know so you just could saying. do that. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, this movie was never officially released. <sighs> it it leaked out as a bootleg at one point in the 80s, which is kind of funny and ironic considering the, the plot line. But uh <laughs> It was never officially released by Michael J. Murphy in this director's cut. It's the first time it's actually ever come out here. Oh. But uh, the, he, he, the 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 guy throws out his contract and everything, but he secretly actually sold the movie and is making huge money off it <laughs> and is promoting the shit out of it and is you know he's made up this whole advertising campaign. So his secretary decides to go get a hold of the guy and let him know that he's being cheated. And they sort of build this whole plan where he creates a series of snuff films where he kills all of this guy's friends and family, just everyone, <laughs> even his dog. Oh, my God. OK. <laughs> and then he he shows him to the guy and kills him, too, of course. Uh, it, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's, hmm. It seems like an angry movie, uh, but it was fun. It, it's, right. a, it's an unusual kind of slasher. Very different kind of slasher. And last up is Yul or YUL871. It's uh, YUL is uh, the Montreal airport. Okay. Ah, it's a flight number. No, it's a flight number. It's this guy, uh, uh, an engineer from Paris. He is heading to Montreal. He, he comes in because he's trying to reconnect with his parents and he's just kind of never met them almost like he hasn't seen them since world war ii okay uh he he kind of got separated from them during the war and has been sort of bouncing around since then and he knows that they came to north america and he's sort of narrowed it down to montreal and he's he thinks he has a phone number for them all right <laughs> so he comes in and he phones and they've never heard of him uh -oh. Like, no, we don't have any information for you. I'm like, oh, shit. So he's just kind of bumming around Montreal, kind of getting the vibe of the era. It's it's 66. It's Montreal. Uh, he He's hanging around with this little girl who's sort of helping him find places. <laughs> uh, he, he meets this lady who he has sort of a fling with. Uh, they buy guns together. It's weird. And it's just him kind of wandering around. He's he's sort of maybe looking for his parents, but also sort of just being sort of this sad tourist. He's not all that happy, but he's just sort of soaking in uh, the experience of late sixties Montreal. Uh, you know, it's it's totally just a vibes movie, but I dug it. Cool, cool. So those are our choices for this week. What do you figure? Well, I'm kind of considering almost all of them, really. Yeah, they're pretty strong choices. I didn't have, I mean, with, with all the shorts, you know, the the yeah. the Arbuckle shorts, that's like maybe four hours and the Mandico shorts, that's three and a half. And I watched most of them twice. Yeah. I, I really had to make my picks count this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Thoughts, question. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, 
you know what? No, I think I know what I'm going to do. Uh, I think it is finally, finally, we've been talking, you've been talking about him for months. Finally time to get into the Michael J. Murphy stuff. All righty. So Bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, well, one of the things that's fun about it is uh, he's also most like in between the killings, he's just watching low budget videotapes. He's just like got a stack of uh, you know low budget horror videotapes, <laughs> and we're just watching scenes from maybe discarded Michael J. Murphy films for just that he's just staring at intently, and he just repeats to himself over again, "Bloodstream is a good film. It's a good film." <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like my jam <laughs> good shit all right so we have five additions to the stacks this week all right first up the devastator uh it's a trashy 80s movie about vietnam vets <laughs> after the war and it's it's the 80s now and they're in california because that's where the film industry is so you don't have to go far to film this and yeah uh, <laughs> there's a vietnam vet deacon porter uh get, gets together his his classic vietnam combat team uh after one of after his commanding officer the the dude who was his commanding officer gets killed uh by i i think marijuana growers or something <laughs> <laughs> It's it's made in the Philippines, but set in Northern California. Oh, oh dear. Because <laughs> it's it's a Serio H. Santiago, and his stuff is, I mean, it's a particular flavor. You, you know what you're getting into if you've seen one, but uh, I, I don't know if you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you probably haven't seen any of his. Uh, you didn't see Nam Angels. That, no. was, that one was great. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Oh, I've seen so many of his damn movies. Anyway. Next is Psycho 2. There was a 2? There's a 2 in like the 80s. There's a 2 and a 3. Oh. Uh, it is Anthony Perkins, uh, the, the original uh, Norman Bates himself, come back, uh, you know, made by the same studio. These are official sequels. Okay. Obviously not made by Hitchcock. <laughs> right. Uh, was he still around or he was... Probably... No, he, he, he died in like right at the end of the 70s, I think. Oh, okay. His last movie, Friends, or no, Family Plot is maybe 70s something. I don't remember, but around there. But yeah, this this is, he's at least uh, been dead for a few years by this point. Okay. I guess that's why they're like, we're reviving the franchise. And it is just Norman gets out of jail. Oh. (laughs) And he he heads back to his motel and starts up business again, you know? I've actually never seen it, but uh, okay. I, I hear it's kind of weird. I, I hear it's better than you'd figure. All right. Well, I, I still have to see the first one. Right. Uh, next up, Red Heat, which is the next Steckler porno. Okay. <laughs> this one sounds really plotty, and it's an actual feature-length film. It's like 82 minutes. Oh, it is, too. So there's this girl, Red Heat. She <laughs> She's a redhead, and she's hot, is the thing. And, you know, she's uh, going to be in, you know, a porno movie. Right. Uh, but she catches her boyfriend with another woman <gasps> and she kills him. Oh, what? Okay. Stabs him to death. <laughs> and then she goes on a killing spree. So, <laughs> so it is a movie about a porno actress going on a killing spree with a knife uh, through Las Vegas. I, I mean, it sounds kind of fucking rad. Sound fun. 
it's it's the one I've been most looking forward to these because uh or out of these it's it's just the poster is legendary I've seen this poster uh for years prior to this so it's like oh that's so rad <laughs> uh next on the Michael J Murphy box we've got Legend of a Hero aka Tristan it's his second go at the Tristan and Nisolde uh fairy tale or classic uh romance or whatever all right uh, are, are, do you know Tristan and Isolde? Uh, I, I, no, I don't. I know yeah. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. I watched the previous one, and it was sort of interesting, but obviously just fragments exist. Uh, from what I understand, this one's kind of boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of slow medieval stuff, but I don't know. And last edition is How to Build a Time Machine, which is a documentary. So It's about... I got to imagine that the method that it tells you for how to build a time machine, it doesn't work, right? Otherwise, someone would have done it. So it's it's two things. It's it's sort of a paralleling these two stories. There's this guy who is uh, making a replica prop of the original time machine from the 60, the 1960 time machine movie. Okay. So there's this guy who's just doing this extremely elaborate, uh, very exacting uh, replica. And right. there's this guy who's a physicist who's been researching tra time travel uh, and sort of uh, heavily related to the death of his father and just him okay. kind of wanting to go back uh, and uh, see a different world where he he's not killed. Right. Right. Uh, where you know, something is changed. Uh -huh. And it's sort of about personal regrets and stuff and uh, why we seek to uh make time machines and and what they what sort of purpose they serve okay cool i hear it's very good hmm. so those are the only additions uh what do you figure for our main feature next week well uh i was thinking somebody on twitter i can't remember who i can't just get off that site i don't know why but i can't some... believe you can get off that site i was so <laughs> glad to delete it i've never been back <laughs> Well, somebody posted mentioning talking about like how great Wild Things is, and like oh, yeah. how it's just uh, crazy and weird and just bonkers. Apparently, pretty. I, it was a pretty big deal movie at the end of the nineties. I, I, I mentioned it when uh, this was added. It had that very famous uh, sex scene in the pool. Mm -hmm. uh, I do remember that. One of these very maximal late nineties movies about teen sexuality, where it's just uh, so. Uh, overheated and crazy and you have a guidance counselor accused of rape okay uh, who's suspended and the the town is all gone against him uh, and he's trying to prove his innocence and there's a uh, i think it's kevin bacon as the cop who thinks uh he's uh, being railroaded okay um yeah let's do that and see what that's all about all right. I have seen it, but it's been many years. Like I, I saw it on VHS at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> necessarily. Mm -hmm. All right. So then next week we'll be doing uh, Wild Things and Bloodstream. Should be a good time. Uh, so do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Wild Things. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Wild thing. <laughs> you you don't know the lyrics to Wild Thing? It's like the most it's almost as simple as Louie Louie, and you can actually understand the words. <laughs> I don't know the lyrics to any song. You know this. <laughs> I wanna know 
Ufa, sure.